Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Joey Casada. You're listening to Tom and Zeus on Shout It Out Loudcast. If you want to hear two idiots with Boston accents talk about Kiss, you've definitely come to the right place. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to the Shout It Out Loudcast. Don't turn your radio dial. You're in the right place because it's time for another bonus episode. Episode lucky number 13. We are calling this one. Hey, 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 hey. We would like you to welcome you to our monthly ritual. Have fun. Stay single. Tommy Zeus, how are you? Well, what an intro. Thank you, my friend. What's going on, everybody? Uh, happy Sunday morning to all of us here. This is going to be uh, this is going to be an exciting one. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of good times on this one. Right, Zeus? Yeah, absolutely. Happy holidays to everybody. This will be dropping right before Christmas. Yep. Uh, right around in, in the middle of Hanukkah, I believe still. So uh, happy holidays to all. Absolutely. Yes. Happy holidays. And, uh, and, and if you could see the video right now, you would see Santa Sonny right now has his hat on. But we don't release uh, the video. I, I'm I'm upset because Murph is doing poems and singing and shit. I, I I challenge Murph to a sing off. Oh God Almighty! Oh boy! Murph, that'll be our next. That'll be our next live. Even. That'll be our next live stream. Sunny versus Murph in in Christmas caroling. Oh God no! I'll let oh. Murph pick the song and we have to do it live. We got to do ten seconds of it. Oh God! Don't do that. Don't give him ideas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because you know Murph's going to listen to this. Because this Murph loves this album. He's going to listen to this right away and be like, "Murph oh, that's a, that's loves this album." Yeah, we're going to talk. We're going to talk about the people that love this album and the people um, who don't. <laughs> okay, and probably one of the people that doesn't and won't is the gentleman that uh, actually that you guys forgot to thank. As you said, don't forget to thank him. Two minutes before we hit record, and that is our friend Tony from Restraint, and I am wearing a Restraint shirt today in his honor. They got their new album, God of War, that's out. It's great. You got to go listen to it. And our boy Tony actually sings one of the songs on this pretty good, alone. Does a great job on it. Uh, Anybody else want to say something nice about our friend Tony? 
Especially yeah, I your friends. I, I, I didn't. I didn't forget to thank him. We were just. We were just still working on our intro banter here. But you know, that's okay. We love Tony. We always thank him for uh, that that killer riff intro music there. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm waiting, the, yeah, I'm the new restrained, new restrained album. And now Sonny can take his turn uh, shitting Go on ahead. his buddy. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. He's he's saying on past albums too. So he, I think he does at least a song or two. I think he did two on the first album, and yeah. I think he did part of one on the second album. I can't remember now. And the, you know they got T-shirts, they got picks, they got coasters or CDs, <laughs> whatever you want to call them. Um, <laughs> oh man, <laughs> what's the matter with you? The guy's been my friend for thirty-three years. If I can't shit on him, who can? That's a good point. Uh, you're right. It's a good there's, point. There's going to be a segment, and we're gonna we'll probably name it next year, in season two. Okay, we're on to the. Sonny shits on Tony's segment in the beginning of the show. Here you go, buddy. We I was, thank him, and then Sonny shits on him. That's how it'll be. I was looking forward to because the last uh, the Christmas two episode, right when Tony yeah. was on, I was looking forward to. So, um, Tony, tell us about your ambitions. <laughs> you guys never went there. What the hell? You missed the Come opportunity. On. We're in the holiday spirit. We don't want to make. We don't want to do that. It's it's the season of giving and caring and sharing and all that stuff. Come on. Maybe because we're not dicks either. Oh no, we are. Oh no, we are. But not to him. How's that? Right, right. Not to him. Perfect. So, Tom, what do we usually do when we uh, start these episodes? We go back to our feedback. Last time we did Winger's uh, debut album and. Somebody smoked too much weed, or I don't know what the fuck happened, but we all collectively forgot to put the poll up. And uh, I'm hoping that uh, I can convince Tommy to put the poll up sometime later on in the middle between this episode and the next one. So just let's get some feedback because I'm OCD and I need to see what you guys thought was the best song on that album. But no poll. So let's go to the feedback, right? Yeah, we got we yeah we got plenty of feedback, and, and in terms of the poll, I, I don't I don't know what happened, but I, I, I prediction whatever the poll would be, seventeen is going to get seventy nine percent of the votes. So, ooh, that's my guess. Prediction. But uh, so for Twitter here, we got our buddy Uncle Polly, not a big winger fan, not because of the music. I'm just not a fan of talented, beautiful men. <laughs> <laughs> he says, "Give me Britney Fox's Dizzy Deans in those two rows of." picket fences in his mouth that he calls teeth and that god-awful wig <laughs> you repeat that oh my God. he says give me britney fox's dizzy dean in those two rows of picket fences in his mouth that he calls teeth that's crazy <laughs> all right <laughs> Oh God! All Boy, right, he's got some big ass teeth. That was great, and that's the best part of that band. <laughs> His teeth, <laughs> two rows of picket fences. <laughs> oh, buddy Jr. I never heard any winger tunes except the popular ones. I never cared to, but these episodes always make me check out the albums. Discussed. Appreciate you three making me open my ears and listen. Red Beach, so underrated. That is true. That is true, buddy Deuce. How Hanging On and Without the Night were not released as singles is beyond me. Both would have been huge hits. Um, oh, and he says, oh, a side note, Forever is better than the entire list of ballads that Sonny Pooney read. You remember you read your rock ballads? Yeah. For, yeah. yeah. Let's see. Joel Hoffman. Uh, the over-enthusiasm of how much more talented they were compared to the other hairbands was a bit much. Yeah, maybe, but I'll take Poison Crew or Warrant every day. Great show. Okay. 
Darren 71. I've never been a fan, but I bet there is some funny shit in this episode. Yes, there was. Um, <laughs> half face. This is a wet dream episode for Sonny. Fourth side of the coin. Poonie. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I get that. A band that make Murph three. Uh, I, I guess. So. I don't know. <laughs> a band based solely on marketing and image. Hot. I'm almost an hour in and you're still discussing Kip's handsomeness. <laughs> It's true. I love it louder. This is a good episode. I love 17 and I'm going to go back and listen to the rest of the stuff. That's why these bonus episodes are great fun. We all get to rediscover or flat out discover something that we might have missed. Lord Scully saw them open for kiss on the hot in the shade tour. Kip could play the bass while clapping his hands over his head. It was amazing. I mean, how could you possibly do that? Unless yep. Recorded bass lines. Ooh, yikes. Brian Embry, to be completely honest, it wasn't too bad of an album. I still listen to it once in a while when I want to jam to something different. Uh-oh. Who's the, the metal old guy? Says, Winger sucks. Who picked this album? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, metal old guy. It wasn't Saxon or Priest's first album. <laughs> Do we have our first Stephen Michael fucking burner? <laughs> <laughs> on the fly the great album hungry is probably my favorite what is that album cover about anyways and we kind of covered that a little bit um then our buddy steve did all his rankings as usual we love steve the r4 podcast ridiculous rod rock record reviews underrated band and album justin mcdonald winger rocks pull is an underrated gem of an album uh, the two latest albums from 2009 and 2014 are also very good they're all very underrated musicians especially reb beach Nice. So that's that's some uh, some Twitter feedback. A lot of people, a lot of fans of that album, which is great to see. So that's cool. Graham Richley, this is Facebook now. Never owned a winger album, so was interested to hear this episode. I'm with Zeus. Competent, but hardly essential listening. Last on the list is about right, but up against true A graders in the other 10. I'm afraid Kip in his cohort a nod in that class wow. still enjoying something different. So kudos to Sonny for trying to rescue wingers reputation. Okay. Actually, perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfectly stated. Jack Pinocchio. Great review. I think it's one of the better wouldn't say best debut album for a band, just an all around great album by winger. I can easily put this on and play it from start to finish without skipping a song. Mm-hmm. Virgil stay fucking winger. My 17 year old daughter cringes when the pedo ridden winger 17 or kiss Christine 16s play from my direction. Mm. Okay. Jay Scott from the Hook Rocks. Uh, trivia. What was the original name of the band? Well, go listen to the episode, boys. Go back and discover, and you'll find out. 
Bill Sharp put it put in a, a photo up of Stewart from Beavis and Butthead in Winger. Oh boy. Yeah, then I see some uh Brad Rusthoven. Great episode, guys. I actually bought this album on vinyl. Yes, vinyl. For some reason, when it came out in 1988, I saw the video for the song Madeline and went out and bought it the next day. Overall, the all the album has moments, but too much filler for me. And the Purple Haze cover is terrible. Oh, yeah. The subsequent albums are better, in my opinion. Sonny having Madeline ranked at number nine is incomprehensible. It's got the best riff on the album by far, with Hanging On a close second. Miles Away and Under One Condition off the next album are both better than Without the Night. It just doesn't have a big enough hook. I saw the Hits tour twice. The second time, we got Winger and Vixen as the openers. I thought Winger was pretty good. Kip's Janet Jackson Mike was a bit (laughs) odd, but they sounded good. They were entertaining. (laughs) Janet Jackson Mike. Daniel Peoples. Fantastic episodes as always. Until 10 years ago, I was only familiar with the videos and singles from the debut. I've always liked those quite a bit. I'm not really sure why I never got the tape in 88. I guess too much else to be discovered at the time. I was just 10 years old. So everything was new. I never had a problem with Lycan Winger. Lars had zero impact on me, 91 to 92. This is a good album. But Mm -hmm. there's a huge dead spot in the middle for me. I'm glad Zeus kept mentioning Chicago. I don't like them, but that was the feel I was getting. Old man yacht rock. Mike and the mechanics came to mind. <laughs> this album is like a roller coaster. The first three songs are adrenaline rush going up and then down after the first cell. Then without the night comes on and all of a sudden the ride stops. I'm hung upside down. Purple haze. Never been a Jimmy Faye anyway. Comes to add them to the misery. And my head starts throbbing from the blood rush. And I soon start to feel as though I'm actually in a state of emergency. Because at that point of the ride of the song, I'm ready to hit the safety release and plummet to whatever fate awaits. Because these three songs felt like an eternity to get through. No. But the ride starts up again in full throttle to the end. And I can almost forget about the slow death in the middle. Winger, Winger isn't a bad band. Beavis and Butthead did more damage to them than Metallica. I mm. think Lars was just jealous. He had a kippish look about him, too. But as Tom said, there was only about a year left before all but a few would disappear. Winger is better than Poison to me as far as the first three albums. But Poison singles were hard to match, although 17 is a real good song. If debut came out in 86 with La- Look What the Cat Tracked In, Winger could have been just as big, in my opinion. That's a great fucking message there. Good points. Thank you. Good points. Yep. yep. Uh, Kevin Jepson. First off, Sonny has to be gay. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. And that's what he says, Tom, right afterwards in big letters. Yep. Brittany Fox chick is so hot. She would make gay men straight. Record is better now than when I was younger. Without the night in purple haze, a complete turd sandwiches. I agree a lot with Zeus on this one. I like it, but yet it's kind of meh. Kip is super nice and a killer guitar player. I saw him twice acoustic. Rick Rera, if you haven't already checked out Winger's album, Pull, 
you won't be sorry. Finally, over to our Shout It Out Loudcasters group. One post on this album, Tom, and the post just was, LOL in three laughing emojis. <laughs> I don't That's know what that means. Right. That's not means they like it. <laughs> That's not right. You keep believing that, Sonny. All right, buddy. What do you got? You got some emails for us? All right. So we'll start with Stephen Wood. He sent an email that was 14 and a half pages long. So I'm going <laughs> to shorten it up for you. Thank you. Uh, just finished listening to the Winger episode. Can't thank Sonny enough for picking the Winger's debut. I find myself vehemently opposed to some of Sonny's musical opinions while wholeheartedly agreeing with others. In this case, I'm with him and Tom because the album's been a revelation. Um, then he kind of talks a little bit about in Australia, MTV wasn't there until 87. So he kind of missed out on the hair metal scene all the way around because, of course, it's not on MTV. But instead, he discovered Metallica, Maiden, Priest, Sabbath, Creator, Slayer, Celtic Frost, yep. Warlock, Halloween. Oh my God! Oh God! Really? Is this, seriously? Is this Stephen? Uh, Steve Wright? Uh, it says Stephen Steve Wright's burner email account. <laughs> yeah. So then he says, "Fast forward to one of the recent live streams where you guys were drafting hair metal albums. I'd never heard a single song from Vinnie Vincent Invasion, Slaughter, or Cinderella before oh, that. Wow. I listened to Night Songs and thought, Holy crap! How much great su- stuff did I miss?" while I was being the quote-unquote metal guy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I put Winger into that category. Now, I look forward to you gentlemen providing more tasty nuggets to enjoy. Thanks for the great work. Shout it out, Loudcast is my favorite podcast. And then he says, P.S., I know Zeus is cutting down on the clips, but if you were to have one for the Ripper, may I suggest <laughs> My Friend the Wind by Demi Ruzos? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Oh, so, God. There you go. Now you're getting requests for clips. Oh, God. The Ripper's going to have a room Clips of what? <laughs> <laughs> the Ripper. Here's one from Doug Middleton. Uh, I remember the twirling shit making me hate this music, but after listening to your episode, I'm going to give it another uh, shot. I was thinking every other podcast should stop doing typical album reviews, period. No one can touch you guys. They do a shameful replication, and frankly, no other podcast, serious show, or YouTube page can come close to what the three of you are doing. They should all just stop. All right, wow. Doug. Yikes. Thanks. All right, we should Doug. just stop with that then. I don't think we should yeah. continue any further. You ain't going to get yeah. better than that. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. that, Doug. Yikes. Wow. And then uh, we have one comment from YouTube. YouTube. Basically, it says Michael Sweet is better looking than the Britney Fox chick, than Kip. Dizzy Dean. Than your and boyfriend, Kip. Kip Winger. That's what the comment is. Is he better looking than Dizzy Dean's picket fence? <laughs> and Craig, I agree with you. Michael Sweet is good looking. Michael, Michael Sweet, if you're Michael listening, Sweet. I love you. And that's a hetero male saying that. Michael Sweet is a handsome man. We'll, we'll just admit that. So but. I think that's interesting. Maybe that's a poll coming up someday. Michael Sweet, Kip Winger, Sonny Pooney. The <laughs> oh, most good handsome. Lord. Oh, God. Or, or the lead singer from <laughs> Britney Fogg, Dizzy, Britney D- Fogg. whatever the fuck his name is. Yeah. <laughs> now we have to post. Now we have to find a picture of him like smiling on stage and <laughs> juxtapose it with a fucking picket white picket fence. Oh, God. Oh, These people well, are nuts. Well, let's put Kip Winger's handsomeness aside for now. Mm hmm. 
And we are going to uh, pick uh, talk about an album that I picked. So it's my turn this time. And I like to go with nostalgia. So my first pick was Soundgarden. I remember exactly where it was when I got it. I was with Tom. Uh, super Unknown. My second was Bon Jovi. I remember where I was when I first heard Runaway. And it was the first album that I went out and bought. And first band that I got into on my own without anybody influencing me. This one is my favorite soundtrack. It was played nonstop at college. It was on my five disc player, no matter what other the four ones were. Always had single soundtrack on. I love this uh, this album. Not only do I love this album, I know that two of my best friends love this album. And there's nothing better than to be like that comfortable, like, oh, let's just throw that on. We'll put this on. Or sit there and playing, having a Tecmo tournament, and then having five CDs in the background playing. And then you'd have it, and when we'd all go to college, we'd all be in school, we'd have this suite, we'd have Tecmo set up, and we would play, and everybody had their team. And we'd have to wait till somebody came back. And then every once in a while... One of these assholes would be like, where's so-and-so? He's been gone for too long. Fuck him. Skip him. Skip him. <laughs> and we would skip your team. Your team lost. Fuck it. You're out. Too bad. And we'd be like, dude, I just had one class. I just got back. What the fuck? We're not here for class. We're here for Tecmo. <laughs> Sorry. I'm trying exactly. to get educated. Exactly. <laughs> Tecmo balls. But anyways, getting back, we... uh uh singles for me is a, a a place in time i can put myself in with probably the best time of my life with my best friends and just music that i was so new and fresh and so kind of exciting because it was all new and the soundtrack to me is something like it's a soundtrack with a movie attached, not the movie with the soundtrack. That's how I got into this. I remember when it came out. I remember these bands coming out, and I remember falling in love with it, running out and getting it. I remember seeing the movie, and it was like, oh, okay. Not really blown away by it, but the soundtrack has stayed with me. That's how I got into it. That's my memory of it. Tom? All right. So... This is the first pick in the bonus episodes that we've done here that this legitimately is it's technically Zeus's pick. This is like a co-pick because this album it could have could have easily been my pick. Jar of Flies. Yeah, exact. Same thing. Same thing. We could have flip-flopped those and the love that you heard coming out of me and Zeus on Jar of Flies. You multiply that probably by about a thousand on this. Because, first of all, I never expected a soundtrack or a compilation or anything to ever be part of these bonus episodes. But what what this album stands for, both musically, nostalgically, memory. I mean, in terms of preparation for bonus episodes, I thought the Pyromania and Appetite episodes were easy to prepare for. This literally took almost zero preparation because I listened to these bands and this album routinely regularly like it's just constantly in the rotation and when this album came out 
Pearl Jam was huge. Grunge was 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 big. It was it was big. And at the time, obviously, 92, there was there was, you, there was no you couldn't make like a mixtape or a mix CD. There was no streaming. This was a grunge mixtape with everything that you wanted to hear. New bands with stuff you never heard. Bands that you heard with new songs. It, it was everything you wanted if you are a grunge fan. And like Zeus said about the movie, everyone's like, oh, oh this is a sound. What, what's the movie singles? You watch the movie. And you're like, OK, it's like a. You know, a, 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 it's about a bunch of singles in Seattle. We may talk about the, the movie a little bit more as we progress. But in terms of, a, of an album that means so, so much to me, you're talking about one of the greats for me. And uh, I, I can't wait to just dig into it. So, Sonny, you are the outsider on the singles love. So I, I, li- I like these kinds of episodes when not everybody is in love with the album or familiar with the album or whatever. So the movie... I'm not a Bridget Fonda or Matt Dillon fan, so I had no reason to see the movie when it first came out. I didn't even see the movie till three weeks ago, and I've watched the movie like three times. Dude, Bridget Fonda is a smoke show in this oh, movie. Thank not you, even. Oh close. my Give god! Kyra I had any time, ten times over. Oh, I'd I take have Kyra. The anytime. Biggest crush on her. I fucking yeah. still. She's amazing in this movie. Gorgeous. When she she has her bathrobe on and she's like dancing like oh bathrobe baby. <laughs> <laughs> so the with sound- that makeup shit on her. <laughs> soundtrack wise, I remember the exact date I heard the soundtrack for the first time. It was November nineteenth, twenty twenty. I know that date because that's the date the CD came to me via Amazon. Oh God. <laughs> I spent three dollars and eleven cents on this CD. I want my money back. Oh, <laughs> I'm oh kidding. boy! I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh. So yes, I have never oh. heard this soundtrack. Wow! In the last, in the last, what is it? Thirty-one days. I have listened to the soundtrack at least eleven to twelve times. Beautiful. In full. Some was painful. We'll get to that. Mm-hmm. So I have zero history with this. The movie's interesting. Um, I know we we're going to talk about it a little bit. It's basically a chick flick hidden in grunge. That's what it is. But yeah, you <laughs> watching this movie, like, you God damn, that. these guys made me watch this fucking chick flick. <laughs> so we're going to do a go fuck yourself later. I'll just tell you the singles movie can go fuck itself. Um, and then I'm like, look at these actors. Like, oh, this is terrible. It's so not movie. terrible. I'm not going to try to convince movie. anybody. Wait, wait, let's get into the movie okay. afterwards. I, okay, I want to finish his thoughts. Go ahead. Sorry. So, I would say, uh, soundtrack wise, you know, for me, just like for you guys, sometimes on the winger stuff and some of this other stuff, you're going to come across stuff that you either heard once, maybe dismissed it for a while, um, or maybe possibly never heard. And I'm sure at some point we'll get to an album I picked that you've never heard. We might get to an album that only 50 people have heard period. Um, but it was kind of nice to go through something that I really had no expectations. There are bands on this soundtrack. I have not heard one single song from ever. Okay. So they're completely new bands to me as far as I'm concerned. Nice. I like that. And you know, I'm that guy that after I listen to something nine, 10, 11, 12 times, I, uh, my opinion on it's just not going to change. Mm-hmm. Right. It is what it is. Um, I listen to enough new music to know kind of what I like, what I don't like. I'll give, you know, the production, a break, I'll give the time frame a break, that kind of stuff. But there's just some stuff I'm into and some, some I'm not. So this basically is a completely new experience for me. 
See, and I, and that's what I love. That's why that's why these bonus episodes are great, especially when we're in the the individual pick rotation, because we do our we do our group pick, and that's kind of like the love fest band al- albums that we're very familiar with. And then I liked it because like when you pick like Winger or or when Zeus picked Bon Jovi, like I those those are actually my favorite episodes, and this one's even better because Zeus and I love this album. It's been a part of our life for almost thirty years, and yet you literally just got it a month ago. And I think that's whether you love the album or not, I think that's going to really make the episode uh, kind of interesting, I think. So I'm excited to, to to dig in. It was 32 days ago. I want uh, the credit for having to live with this in a, in a, an extra day. It wasn't just a month. It was 32 oh, days. We'll get you a credit. We'll, 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 <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll send you some shout out loud credits. I don't know what those are worth, but, you know, shout out loud cast Bitcoin or whatever the fuck you want to call it. So. <laughs> so let's talk about the movie first. Okay. So the movie apparently comes out three months after the soundtrack. So the movie was released September 18th, 1992. It grossed like $18 million. I'm assuming it made its money back. So it's supposedly is written and directed by Cameron Crowe. So Cameron Crowe, for those who don't know, the guy that did Jerry Maguire and Almost Famous, was married to Nancy Wilson. Who is one of the sisters from Heart? The good looking one. They get oh, the good one. Both smoking. What is wrong with you? Dude. <sighs> one looks like <laughs> one looks like she's had a one too many poo-poo platters. What are you talking about? Well, that's one looks like they ate the other one. That's that's <laughs> let's be real. Yeah, but that's in 2020. Back in the yeah. 70s, 80s. Oh. oh, yeah. She's got a and her voice makes her so attractive. Yeah. And supposedly she's an awesome person. So yes. let's be nice here, huh? Grow up. Okay. <laughs> Zeus saying, be nice, grow up. <laughs> Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Anyway, so the movie is supposedly a love fest because he married Nancy Wilson, moved to Seattle, and he was seeing all this stuff going on. And he basically comes up with like, look at all these musicians, look at these people. 
He was leaving LA where he saw like all these rockers living off like the Motley Crews and stuff, living off all these women and fucking, you know, sleeping, taking their money and buying food and crashing at their pads and stuff versus this Seattle group of people that were kind of like a community helping each other. Everybody's working and being a musician and doing stuff. And he came up with this, you know, romantic comedy. I think it's like friends before friends came out, Mm -hmm. six people living in this apartment complex. Right. And, you know, and he puts in the background is this soundtrack, which is, you know, throughout the movie, it's there. You can't miss it. Uh, One of the main characters is a grunge guy played by Matt Dillon. So you have Matt Dillon, Bridget Fonda, the guy from um, The Wire, uh, I forget uh, I forget the character's name. He's in that. Uh, you have uh, Campbell Scott. He's been in a bunch of movies around that time as well. And uh, some, you know, some nice cameos that come up in this movie. And it just talks about relationships and things like that. I found the movie to be eh, okay. It's got some good parts. Okay. It's watchable. I watched it now just because I know the bands and the music. And so I'm looking back to like, oh, that's a segue where they're playing this. Oh, in this segue. Oh, look, that's what he called it from that band in the background. Holy shit. I don't remember Chris Cornell being in this scene and stuff like that. Again, I thought the movie was okay. I found that the, um, uh, oh, Kira Sedgwick is the other big name actress. And she was really the star of this movie. Uh, I thought she was like 40 years old in that movie. Uh, she looks older. Campbell Scott looks older. They all look. Bridget Fonda is supposedly 23 in that movie. There's no way they're all hanging around with the same people because they are way older. And it's just, you know, bad casting. Whoever the girl was that was playing the, like, the ditzy one that was like man hungry, mm-hmm. like, that was just badly cast. It's just, I don't know. And that whole character just. It just didn't fit in with what was going on. But other than that, I felt like the movie was, you know, decent. That's yeah. about it. Nothing yeah. to write home about. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, there's really not much to add. I mean, the only the only thing that, that that's kind of interesting about this is that Cameron Crowe, the director, said that uh, the, in 19, March of 1990, the, the lead singer of Mother Love Bone, Andrew Wood, who's featured on the soundtrack, and we'll get into that, after he died, um, he said that that was kind of an inspiration for him and that he said, you know, it kind of made me want to make this movie uh, as a love letter to the, the, the area, the Seattle, you know, and, and that was in 1990. And the movie is what it is. It's like a, it's like a, it's like if you took an episode of friends with more drama and made it a little bit longer than a 30 minute sitcom, because it is very dramatic. There's not a lot of humor in it. Any humor that's in it is very piecemeal throughout the movie. I think the fact that I'm a grunge guy, and there are performances by some of the bands in the movie. I think Matt Dillon's hilarious. There's some cameos by some grunge guys. The story is pretty basic. It's a like it's a watchable movie. Um, it's not great. It's not a standout. I think the movie exists for the soundtrack, in my opinion. We <laughs> we kind we kind of talked about that because I remember when we bought the soundtrack. The soundtrack came out three months before the movie. Everyone's like what is singles? Like, what is this movie? And then it came out like, oh, we got to see this movie. The soundtrack is so great. We're like, oh, that's it. All right. That's okay. Sonny, what's your experience? Are you the same thing with the movie? You didn't, you never knew anything about the movie. 
Yeah, I didn't know anything about the movie. And like I said, when it first came out, I I was 23 when it first came out, 22. So I was hanging out at the rock clubs every night. Like I wasn't, and I didn't have a girlfriend that was into this kind of music or these kind of movies, right? And I'm mm-hmm. not going to go to this chick flick, right? So I passed on the movie. I will tell you that I'm watching the movie. I'm listening to the soundtrack. I'm like, God damn it. Cameron Crowe might've killed hair metal. Like it's just, it's that perfect, probably timing of something ascending, something comes out. It just mixes perfectly and talked about it on other podcasts, including growing up rock, where this is something, something like this needs to happen with rock to kind of bring it back. Like, Good point. The problem is rock isn't, it's happening in everybody's garages. So unless you do it like a, a movie out of Sweden or something like that, that exposes some bands that nobody's ever heard of, it's hard to do it from one area where there's this sound being created. I think Rockstar, that movie Rockstar was supposed to kind of bring back the eighties hair metal vibe, mm. but the damn thing got, uh, released right around nine 11. So it never had a chance to even hit the real theaters and, and that do was well. bad casting too. No offense. Mark Wahlberg should not have been the lead guy. Yeah, but Marky Mark, the name brings stuff, right? Yeah, the yeah, the name brings just... fans at least. Mm-hmm. I thought he did well in the movie. It's actually one of my uh, favorite soundtracks, but that's because the music. The soundtrack. Right? I just mm-hmm. thought, I thought he was badly cast. Yeah. I can picture him as a kind of like the hair metal kind of scene kind of guy and yeah. whatever. Um, you know, uh, Matt Dillon for all his bad wig, the grunge, they had the little goatee thing going. I thought he, he pulled that off, except that the one other part I wanted to make mention is, I don't know why they made Bridget Fonda not as hot as she is. Because she, she's like, not hot. That's, oh that's the God, problem. You, you need a better oh cast. She's not hot. Oh that's boy. just all there is to it. Yikes. There's something wrong with you. No, she, she's a, she's a, she's a boy with, you know, women. Oh. That's it. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <sighs> Keep going. Six one seven. Yeah, exactly. Six one seven five 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 zero eight fifty. Exactly. All right, all right, all right. Let's bring it back to the actual soundtrack. We know what we think of the movie. So, the album cover, like we do, is just a clip of the the movie uh, poster, really, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, the two main couples making out, like uh, like the postcard that's. Featured in the movie, and then this ooh Bridget Fonda, and it was black fucking <laughs> oh, and then Matt Dillon with his dorky wig, uh, grunge on a thing, and then the guy from the wire in the background. Where's the si- oh? I now I see her. You know, for years I'd always be like, where the hell is the other girl? She's not she's in this. She's blurry on the bike. Yeah, she's on the bike behind him, and then I don't know who's behind them. Those other three people, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just a scene from the movie. Yep. I I, I don't know your thoughts, guys. I, I'd be pissed if I was Matt Dillon with that boy leaning on against me, oh, looking, looking at me like he's ready to kiss me. Ah, oh, Poony, the fuck, dude. She's got uh, no shape. I'll give you. I will say. Let let me jump in. That's the one thing I will agree on. She's very, very small all around. But I'm I'm talking facially. I think she's cute as hell, borderline hot. But you're right. Her body is, she has the body of like a 12-year-old boy. See? Yeah. No, I agree with that. I do. I do. But but I think. So you're calling me a pedophile? (laughs) Not at all. No, because I think she, I think, uh, no, because she she is a woman. So that's okay. You're, 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 you're excused. 
but I think she's cute as hell, borderline hot in this movie. All right. Oh, All right. She's a smoke show. And I love Matt Not Dillon. Close. I, I love Matt Dillon in this movie. He's so you'd rather make out with Matt Dillon on the on that bench than her. It goes uh, for me. It goes Kira, and then yeah, Matt Dillon. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought Sonny would say he'd rather get hit by the bike than than kiss well, anybody. If, if we're going the whole way, Kira, Matt Dillon, the guy Kira's kissing, the guy who's like at the drinking fountain, getting run by a bike, falling <laughs> off that tree, buried in snow, and then Bridget. Oh, dude, there is, I think Kevin Jepsen's comment about you is accurate. <laughs> Sorry. Now we have now Sonny. I don't know what you have. Zeus and I, we have the deluxe edition of the CD. I don't so, know. Could I get that for $3 and 11 cents? Shut your mouth. <laughs> but, um, I don't know if it has it in the same in, when you open it up, but there's a, uh, there's a great picture of Cameron Crowe with Matt Dillon, um, and then the guys from Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, and Allison Chain's group photo there. So you have that too. Yeah, that, yeah. That's kind of that's kind of. I cool. didn't notice. Yeah, yeah, it's got Lane Staley, um, uh, Matt Dillon, Chris Cornell, yep. and Jeff Ament. Yep, and, and a very Jay Leno looking uh, Cameron Crowe. I didn't. Oh yeah, that's how that's how he looks. Yeah, Shin is Jay Leno ish. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's grungy Jay Leno. Yeah. <laughs> on uh, on page eight of my CD booklet, Matt Dillon is sitting on the sofa, and there's a boy in a bra sitting oh, on top of him. Again with the boy jokes. <laughs> <laughs> so well, yeah, so the so the deluxe edition has a booklet. Obviously, Sonny has a booklet too. The deluxe edition has a really awesome booklet with notes on all the songs. Yeah. The um, book, the deluxe edition is the way to go if you want to get. Yep, the best edition of this. It is incredible. Yep. Okay. It not not only does it have a whole segment of every song, photos of tapes and stuff, and how they came up with songs and just background footage. Alice in Chains right before they start to show their concert. A quick blurb by Cameron Crowe, and then it's a blurb on every single thing, different little clips. Mm-hmm. But you know. Another great aspect of it is they have the actual fake review of oh, Citizen, of Citizen Dick, Dick by the fake reporter. <laughs> yes. Just shitting on them. <laughs> and it, it is like the movie where like Eddie Vedder is like looking at it and be like, yeah, we'll get. And he just reads and reads and reads. It's fucking so long. When, and then the last part, Sonny, just this. Other than that, they were heavily backed by uh, Stone Jeff and drummer Eddie Vedder. <laughs> that's that that whole scene. The, by the way, I know we're, we're gonna kind of we're kind of moving on from the movie, but that scene when they're all sitting at the at the table together, my God, are they young, Eddie? And, and, oh yeah. And they and that other scene when they're all watching TV together about the hornets or the the wasps, and they're all like, just freaking <laughs> stone faced. They're all like. Like I love uh, those guys. A compliment for us, us is a compliment for you. For you, great line, Eddie. <laughs> yep. And then Matt Dillon has a good line too. He's like, "Where is the Misty Mountain Hop? Where is Kiss at the Coliseum?" The Coliseum. Like, All right, you made a Kiss reference. All right, exactly. Yeah, the is movie, the Kiss the- part in the movie, there always is. Oh, always. Yeah. So the the movie, look, it's ninety minutes. It's not a big commitment. If you haven't seen it, it's worth checking out, you know, and there's a lot of songs that are in the movie that are not on the soundtrack as well, too. So and we'll get we'll get yep. into that as yep. well. Yep. So soundtrack cover. It's the album. Co- it's the movie 
poster. So nothing mm-hmm. special there. Yep. So let's get to the kind of little bit of the particulars here. The album itself released basically three months before the movie released mm-hmm. June 30th, 1992. It's the soundtrack to the movie singles written and directed by Cameron Crowe. The album went double platinum. Yep. It's got 13 songs on it. The deluxe edition has 18 bonus tracks on it. Woo. Sonny, that must have excited you when you found out there were 18 more songs. I made sure I did not get that. <laughs> okay. Now, what's what's funny is that there were other songs that I picked up in the movie that weren't on the soundtrack. You had the uh, radio song by R.E.M. I don't know if you know that song, Tom. Yep. Yep. Great oh, yeah. song with a little rap by Chaos One on that. Yep. Uh, you had uh, Family Affair by Sly and the Family Stone. She sells Sanctuary by the Cult, yep. which uh, was just in our live cast we had a couple weeks back. Great uh, song. Uh, Blue Train by Johnny Coltrane, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jane's yep. Addictions, Three Days, Little Girl by Muddy Waters, and Jinx by the band Tad. <laughs> So Jinx is the song that gets played when he plays the song in Bridget Fonda's car and breaks all the window. Yes. Chris Cornell comes out and headbangs to it. <laughs> That's by the band Tad. And the guy, the lead singer of Tad, is the guy that gets the phone call from Bridget Fonda. Yes. When she calls the wrong guy and tries to talk sexy to him. Yep. Lady, I don't know. Oh, you got- yeah. I don't know who you are. You got the wrong number, but I'll be right over. <laughs> That's the lead singer of the band Tad, whose song was playing. It broke all the windows. So yeah. there were other stuff that didn't make it, but the deluxe edition, let's start. We'll talk about that. Those other songs that didn't make it after we review the album. We'll just briefly go through some of the stuff because there's, there's a lot there and I'm, we're not going to do that. We're going to stick to our formula of what the album was when it was released and became a classic. But I feel like we should touch on some of those afterwards. Oh, yeah, Um, yeah, definitely. So before we get into the track by track, let's just kind of briefly have like a little bit of an overview of what is on the album, about the Seattle connection to all the artists. Uh, You know, obviously, it's primarily a grunge album, uh, but there are some artists that are not grunge. Uh, There's also some artists that aren't from Seattle. Um, But generally speaking, the one big thing to talk about Uh, kind of like in an overview perspective is I remember when we got this album in 92, when it came out and everyone's like, Oh, Pearl jam. Oh, Soundgarden, Oh, uh, Alice in chains. Oh, smashing pumpkins. Where the fuck is Nirvana? Why is Nirvana not on this album? And that's always the elephant in the room when you're talking about this album. Um, So I didn't know if we wanted to spend a couple minutes, giving a little bit of the background um, on on the absence of Nirvana because obviously smells like Teen Spirit and all that that was that was a, that was a huge deal. Cameron Crow actually was going to call this movie or there was discussion about calling the movie "Come as You Are" uh, before they settled on the title "Singles." And one of the big issues about um, about smells like Teen Spirit that was the song that was going to be on it. The the original cut of the movie had smells like Teen Spirit on it. But by the time it came time to license the, the the music for the soundtrack, Smells Like Teen Spirit had shot into the stratosphere. It was a huge hit, and the licensing was out of his range. And Kurt Cobain claimed that he had been asked to contribute to the soundtrack, but he had said absolutely not. Dave Grohl said the same thing. Uh, we're not putting our music on movies. 
So you got to kind of wonder how that would have affected the soundtrack. I've seen some reviews, in my opinion. I kind of feel the same way. I think Smells Like Teen Spirit was such a huge song that it almost would have maybe potentially overshadowed the soundtrack because the soundtrack is filled with a lot of unknown songs. Wood was the only single really released from the album. Um, And then all these bands, you know, Dirt came out after this. Screaming Trees came out after this. So a lot of these bands use this soundtrack to kind of launch them when Nirvana was already huge. So I think that's a big thing. People look at this like, how is Nirvana not on this? Um, so I, I think that's kind of interesting about how they were going to be on it, but it just it just didn't happen for them. So any any thoughts on Nirvana not being on this? Or would you have preferred to have maybe a deep cut or an unknown track from Nirvana? I, I know Zeus, you're yeah, the Nirvana so guy. They were going to actually put on, and if you see some interviews where Cameron Crowe says, that I was going to put on Imodium. I'm like, Imodium? Like, oh, yeah, that's what they used to call Breed. Exactly, yes. So I remember that. And I fucking love Breed, and it's a great song. It would have fit perfectly in between, like, the Alice in Chains and Soundgarden set. Mm Because that kind of, that song would fit more so than anything else. Because it's more pop, like, more uh, punk rockish and heavy. More so than the, you know, poppy sometimes Nirvana stuff or Hook. Poppy mm-hmm. hook kind of Nirvana stuff. Yep. Uh, I wish they had a Nirvana thing. It, it definitely would have overshadowed because they were the big band at the time. But if they put it in, I thought it. I, I mean, the album stands out because it's one of those things like, oh, I have Nirvana here. I have singles over here. It didn't need it. It would have been great if it did have it in there. Yep. But the thing is, if you look at all these bands here, so you quickly say, well, wait a minute. Paul Westenberg, he's a Minnesota guy from the replacements. Mm-hmm. But if you talk about the Seattle bands and Seattle sound, the Seattle area, a lot of those guys were influenced by the replacements. Yes. So it was kind of like their influence is put on there. Jimi Hendrix, you don't think of really, he's from Seattle, but you don't think of him as Seattle. You know, a lot of people think of Jimi Hendrix and think of England because that's where he got big. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the love mongers who are not until recently, I realized, are basically the Heart Sisters. Yep, and Nancy Wilson and Ann Wilson are Seattle people, and mm-hmm. then the only other one is Screaming Trees, and there's a connection there because Cornell brought them over, mm-hmm. and we'll get into that when we talk about it. But overall, there was the theme, and this is a soundtrack meant for Seattle and his uh, his um, basically a love song for Seattle, Cameron yeah. Crowe's, and he put this out there on re- for for a reason. And, um, you know, the big names are there and none probably as big as the opening track. You want to get to it? Let's do it. Okay, here we go.
so wood um you know i was i heard it on the on the soundtrack that i got and then I went to my box set collection because I've got the Music Bank box selection, right? I wanted to see if it yep. was a little bit different. It sounded similar, so I didn't, it didn't sound like it was a ton of different. But then I saw this little clip uh, that Jerry wrote, and it said, I was thinking a lot about Andrew Wood at the time. We always had a great time when we did hang out, much like Chris Cornell and I do. There was never really a serious moment or conversation. It was all fun. Andy was a hilarious guy, full of life. It was really sad to lose him but I always hate people who judge the decisions others make. So the song was basically directed towards people who pass judgments, right? I thought that was pretty cool to me. The song, the groove of the song is amazing. I love that the song ends with a question in the lyrics. Like you don't see that Mm. too often. Um, that whole, so I made a big mistake, try to say it once my way. I've tried that with a wife a couple of times that has not went over well. Um, (laughs) the, the, the lyrics are basically a poem, right? And I, I was reading the reading the lyrics the other day, and I'm thinking this is like me reading a poem in tenth grade. Like I, I don't have a clue what the hell this means. Like if it wasn't for Contrell saying it was about Andrew Wood, I would have no clue what this basically song was about. I love it. Like at about two twenty, that quick buildup that goes right back into kind of the chorus, and that always kind of gets me going. I'll tell you, hands down. One of my favorite Alice in Chains songs. And to me, one of the best songs ever labeled grunge in my mind. I absolutely love this song. Yeah, what a way to kick off a soundtrack. And I I don't want to give away rankings or anything because we do that at the end. But you're talking about arguably the greatest song that Alice in Chains has ever done. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of Alice in Chains fans out there that may disagree. But if they don't think this is the best, it's right up there. And I think the thing that makes this this song so just so sp- special I guess for for lack of a better word is that you have Jerry Cantrell singing the verses of the song and then you have that and, and the verses are very moody and very quiet and you kind of almost have that little tribal beat with that the guitars in the back and then my god Lane Staley comes in and just blows the lid off with that with that chorus and it's just it's just a spectacular song and it's so funny because all these years I'm like, oh, the song is Wood with a question mark. And then you read about it, you're like, oh, it's about Andrew Wood. I'm like, dummy, how did I not connect those dots, especially <laughs> when you think of the title and the in the the content of the song lyrics? Um, and you're right, Sonny, you brought up a great point. I love the way the song ends. It just ends with him screaming, and it, it's not a fade out. It's just a punch, and the song just ends with that question about Wood. Yeah. Um, so just fantastic. Allison Chains, uh, just oh, so good. Alice in Chains, Wood, written by Jerry Cantrell, made it to number 31 on the mainstream rock. First, I want to kind of talk a little bit quick about the video. Sure. So the video is the band. Um, it shows, uh, you know, the movie poster a little bit in the background, people in Seattle. But it's basically a live performance. They're in some place. I-, I fucking love this thing. I think they look, this is like the typical Seattle, like. They look so fucking different, but so cool, like different than the band videos you'd see before. Basically, Jerry's in his like Seattle grunge look with the blue hat. Mm-hmm. And Lane is got this slick back do a Freddy Cougar bright red shirt, <laughs> sunglasses. And he's just like, you know, Jerry's doing his thing, singing the, you know, mouthing the lyrics kind of mellow. And then Lane 
it's like the image I have of him in Alice in Chains. It just takes that mic when his part comes in. It's just into the flood again. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. That chorus, it gives you chills. Like, oh, look at, listen to this fucking voice. He is like not to be trifled with. Yep. Fucking blows you away. Uh, you know, it's kind of, um, you know, that image. Compare that to what was happening maybe a couple months before with Trickster and, and <laughs> TNT and 10,000 lovers in one. And you're like, what the fuck? Like, there's a whole new seriousness and critically acclaimed and rocking and heavy and authentic. And depressing and not fun and no drugs. And well, there's plenty of it, drugs. There's just no sex. Yeah. You just called it all the other thing. We remember what you said about two minutes ago. So we're good. <laughs> so, but compare that it's a shifting of the guard really yeah. at that fucking present moment. And it's amazing too. We talk about how much everybody loves this song and how it's arguably the greatest Alice and Shane song. Talk about what a launching pad for your new album, because dirt comes out after the single soundtrack. So you're like, oh, God, I have to get this out. And then you listen to Dirt and you're like, holy shit, one of the greatest albums ever made, easily the most depressing album ever made. Dear God, it was one of the reasons why I picked Jar of Flies instead of Dirt, because I didn't want the three of us hooked on heroin at the end of the review. Um, But yeah, and it's funny, too, Zeus, when you talk about that video, Alice in Chains, they looked grunge, but they sounded like grunge, like metal. Like when you see like a Pearl Jam video. Everything about them was very grungy and 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 rock and punk kind of, but Alice in Chains just looked like uh, just 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 great stuff. Great stuff. One other thing I want to take, and when I talk about each yeah. one of these songs, I also want to bring up the part in the movie where does the song come out or does it? Yeah. yeah. So this actually gets played. If you notice, when they first walk into the club and Steve first sees uh, what's her face there, Linda, mm-hmm. and he tries to pick her up, they're playing. Uh, it ain't like that live. Oh, so good. Then they cut to Cameron Crowe's ridiculous interview with yeah. Cliff Pontier of talking yeah. about uh, Touch Me, I'm Dick, the fake <laughs> yep. song. Then they cut back and he tries to pick her up and they're leaving. Wood is playing in the background. Mm-hmm. They just transferred over to Wood. There is an awesome edition of Wood live on the deluxe edition. And it ain't like that is on the deluxe edition yep, too. Yep. That live performance. Now, f- apparently they would perform the song live, record it live, then lip sync the live version when they did the movie. Yep. Because they wanted to get the sound of the actors talking too. So they couldn't just, Hey, keep playing that over and over again. The song, they had the background going. So yep. I, I, again, it's that we talked about it on jar of flies. It's the three voices. It's mm-hmm. the fucking Jerry voice, the two of them together, and then Lane Lane takes over. Yep. I love that shit. Uh, it's got a nice little short, moody little solo. Uh, we talked about it being Andy Wood of Mother Love Bone. And, you know, this is where Jerry meets Cameron Crowe, who became like, they became really close. And apparently, when he fir- Cameron Crowe first moved to Seattle... Jerry was one of the first people that he became friendly with. And he's like, I'm going to put him in my movie because Jerry, I guess, had so many great sayings. And he's like, oh, those are Jerryisms. Those are Jerryisms. We got to get them. I'm going to use them. Keeps telling me stuff. And he remembered one of them. 
and he put him in specifically into Jerry Maguire, the movie. Yep. And that's why he plays Jesus of copy Matt. Yep. When Jerry Maguire brings his manifesto over and he talks about having the balls to do something. And, and he's like, I just wanted to see Jerry in like a, in a, like a khakis in a, <laughs> like a button up shirt. Yep. And it worked. So he put him in that movie there. And you've seen Jerry's acted in other stuff after this too. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Jerry Cantrell came to the set. He had a, ca- a cassette of demos when people had demos. And Wood was the first track they took. And he's like, that's what I want you to use. I guess it won Best MTV Video for a Movie in 1993. And they also threw this on, M- uh, what do you call it? On Dirt. Yeah. So it, they realized it came out pretty good. Like, shit, let's still throw this on Dirt. It'll help us sell a little more. So that got, you know, put on at those as the last track. The one thing I want to kind of also add, you know, besides the legendary chorus, Lane Staley's Into the Flood again, and just everybody knows that, is Sean Kinney's drumming on that. Yeah. You talked about tribal kind of thing, pace going. Very underrated. Yep, agreed. That's great stuff. The whole thing, stu- vocally, musically, terrific. Yep. Yeah, what a way to start. Yep. So let's go over to the next one. I like the guitar melody. I like the solo, like the riff kind of feels like a lot cleaner ace. I know these guys are influenced by ace. I love that during the verse, you really only just hear kind of the drums, the bass and Eddie that kind of puts a different feel to it. And I love the way the guitar kind of ends the song outro wise. It it is, it is a dictionary definition of how I want a song to end that ends with a guitar outro, right? Like sometimes, and we might mention it later, some bands don't really know how to do that. 
the lyrics, they feel like anti-suicide. I'm not too sure. The chorus is memorable to a point. The rest is just kind of okay to me. I will tell you the song is growing on me. So it's moved up on the rankings twice over the last two and a half weeks. I don't know if that's saying much, but it's growing on me. And I think it's, I don't think it's Eddie's voice because I'm still not a big fan of Vetter's voice. I think it has more to do with the pace and just kind of the groove of the song is kind of keeping me interesting or interested and it's moving up on the ranking. So today you'll see my third time changing the ranking on this one. All right. Ooh, that's impressive. So breath. So yeah, this is, um, originally it was written by stone Gossard when he was still in mother love bone. <clears throat> and it was the first song of a demoed by Pearl jam. And it's part of the, the 10 sessions. Um, <clears throat> and if you're a fan of the 10 album, you can, you kind of, it, it feels like it's part of that, that vibe. Sonny's shaking his head. Well, you better, you better stop shaking your head because who knows 10, maybe a future bonus episode. 10 should um, be called two. Oh God. But uh, breath, and uh, we'll we'll get to the other Pearl Jam song that's on here too. This is uh, ten. I love Pearl Jam, one of my all time favorite bands. My sweet spot for Pearl Jam are the first two albums, primarily ten. So this could have been on the album, but it was recorded during that. So you can you you get that feel, that rawness of what was on ten. Um, I I just I just love it. I mean I I just don't know what else to say about a song like this because it's from one of my favorite bands, um, and and to me. I think it speaks about how amazing 10 is that this didn't even make it. Uh, the original version was called breath and a scream. And it, it, the, the, the original version, it sounds a little weird. sounds a little slower or maybe a little sloppier if you want to call it that. Um, but this, this put together version uh, that they have on singles is uh, it's just spectacular. And I think this, I think these two Pearl Jam songs is, if I recall correctly, I think it's what drew us to getting this soundtrack because we were huge fans of 10 and we're like, Oh God, look at this two new songs by Pearl Jam. Let's get this and see what else is going to happen to this album. Um, so yeah, breath, great one for me. Breath Pearl jams written by Eddie Vedder and stone Gossard. So stone had already had this with mother love bone before yep. Eddie even came into the band. Mm-hmm. Apparently he had demoed it. And then Eddie came in and added the lyrics. And as you talked about, it became a 10 outtake. And if you get the deluxe, newer version of 10 i think it's on there but it's with the old drummer because it was from yep. 10 dave cruson mm-hmm. so when they did this and they also did the other track on this state of love and trust that the video for even flow is not the song the music on the even flow video is not the same music on the 10 album Correct. And a song called Dirty Frank, which we love. Dirty Frank. (laughs) We make fun of all the time. It's pretty bad. Uh, Those four were redone with the drummer. Help me. David Bruzy. I think that's how it's pronounced. Yeah. So he was the drummer that came in and did um, verses and Vitology. And then they booted his ass out. Mm -hmm. And he came in right after they finished doing 10. And then he made it to MTV's Unplugged and this album as well uh, so this is a re-recorded part with david bruzy's on it uh i love the actually his performance on this i thought i thought the drums are excellent on this there are certain parts of this song that i've loved and i'm like you sonny over the years it's grown it's grown i'm not talking like like one year that i it went up all in my you know love of this album i'm taking years it's taken like there's certain things that I rediscover about this song that I love. 
the the verses when he starts going, uh, come, here it comes, there it goes, when it comes, where it goes, when it comes. I fucking love that. I think Eddie is exceptional. This is just groovy and kind of like a funky, kind of just like a plodding along song. The vocals are awesome. And then when he starts, when he finishes that part of the song, which says much more than this. And that just, and the guitar goes off. Oh my God. It's just insane. Uh, the vocals and the guitar on this do it for me. It, it mm-hmm. It's so exceptional to me. Um, Can you do that part again? Cause my eyes kind of popped out at the key that oh, you my, were in. My, so go ahead. Oh, there's, wait a minute. What is, <laughs> what is there's keys in singing? <laughs> Dude, I was I, like, yeah, that's about <laughs> as good as I can. I don't think I can do that again. I always thought it began begins with a candle light, a warm breath, and what the fuck is with the shaft of a light? So this is the thing about grunge that'll drive me nuts. You can have Stone Temple Pilots uh, lyrics in front of you, Alice in Chains lyrics in front of you, Pearl Jam's lyrics, and you think you're reading fucking Beowulf. You yep. understand these words, but put together, it, what? Like, I don't, have, I have no idea what they're saying. I'm reading the lyrics all these years, and I'm like, what the fuck does this mean? Why is this in English? And I have no idea what this is saying. That's Pearl Jam. That's the thing about grunge and all that stuff. You know, put your hand in my pocket, grab onto my rocket. It's pretty I, self-explanatory. Yeah, I understand what that means. It's yeah. gold, Jerry. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Zeus. Zeus. Zeus, Like meet, meet, meet me in the ladies' room. (laughs) Like we say on Shout It Out Loudcast, dumb it down. That's right. Yeah. This is just, and you know, reach the door. Oh, reach the door. Like what? Uh, What? Okay. I know. And apparently, when they were filming the movie, they were still called Mookie Blaylock. Yes. Did you know that, Sonny? Uh, they were called Mookie Blaylock before they'd be called Pearl Jam. They were big into fucking basketball, apparently. And as you can see, X-Man in the movie, too. Uh, Mookie Blaylock was the name of Pearl Jam before they became Pearl Jam. That little part right after Mother Love Bone and yep. Eddie Vedder joined. Then they switched it. Why um, didn't they but, choose Gary Payton? Is there a reason? <laughs> Well, I don't know. That's also why their debut album is called 10, because that's Mookie Blaylock's jersey number. Oh. Yep. All right. There's your yes. Pearl Jam trivia for the day. 617-522. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> You're up next, my man. Um, <laughs> fucking love breath. I love yeah. it. It's yeah. it just grown on me. It's nothing that you're like, hey, put this on and this will blow you away. You listen to it over time and you're like, holy shit. This song. I, can't, I can't believe it had to grow on you. Oh, it grew on me. It, it wow. just, it's okay. always been fantastic. No, it's, so, that's what I'm saying. For me, right out of the gate, I loved it, but it, it grew on me like my gut. No, nope. time. <laughs> okay. So let's go to the next one.
Seasons by Chris Cornell. Okay, I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud, but the song's a little bit brighter and peppier than normal Soundgarden. Not that <laughs> Chris Cornell does peppier songs. Um, I love the falsetto notes. And honestly, I could listen to Chris Cornell sing all day, no matter what it is. I absolutely love his voice, right? And I can't say that about the Getty Lees or the Brett Michaels or the Stephen Pierces of the world. <laughs> But this song is boring after a while. It, it needed a pace change at some point. Like I was, I was ready for Chris to take it to the next level and start just wailing and then kind of bring it back down. Um, it just needed that different pace to kind of break up the monotony to me. And I don't know if you noticed, like we talked a little bit about um, Eddie and Stone and those guys and Jeff being in the movie. They did a good job. Chris looked absolutely hammered in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right? Yep. Didn't he look like he was absolutely <laughs> lit? I'm like, dude, you know we're shooting today, right? Can you come to like sober? Or is that you sober? Like, I don't even know. So, yep. So, there are two songs on this album that really, we kind of talked about it on Jar of Flies, that really, really hit me in the gut in terms of nostalgia. Um, we'll, we'll eventually get to the other one, but this one, when I hear that opening acoustic strumming and then it gets into the finger picking it like honestly talking about it right now is giving me a little bit of a goosebump right now because the song it's it, it it's the it's why i love music so much um it, it just does something to me it, it it chris sounds amazing on it um i will agree with sunny a little bit i wish i wish the, the, the there is a little bit of a change in the middle of the song but then it kind of goes back and it, it is repetitive and it, it might be a little bit too long, but 
I, I just, I love it. It just creates such a mood to me. It's not a very good mood that it creates. It's a, to me, it's a very cold song. And I don't know if that's because maybe it's because it's seasons or whatever, but that, that opening those, those few strums of the guitar. And then, and then when the chords start going, uh, I just, I just love this song. And again, when we heard this, we knew who Soundgarden was. We had bad motor finger. Um, and to hear this was just a, a, a treat to hear some acoustic Chris Cornell, um, just fantastic song for me. Yeah, there's uh, Seasons written by Chris Cornell, performed by Chris Cornell. So it's not under the Soundgarden guys. Right. Cornell had a huge role in this movie. Mm -hmm. He's the one that when Jeff Ament for fun made up song titles on supposedly the character Matt Dillon's playing Cliff Pontier. So he Mm -hmm. made up like a fake cassette this is what a lot of the seattle musicians would do they would take the cassette and uh you know shop it around to people well cornell took the cassette with the fake names and actually wrote songs around it one of them has to be ends up being one of sonny's favorite no his number one song off of off of uh super unknown well anyways cornell Gave uh, Kim and Crow's wife Obviously Nancy Wilson The cassette of the song he made Of Jeff Ament's Fake Chris um, What do you call it uh, Cliff Poncier's album And you know she told them Hey you might like this I bought this off the street And played it and Cameron Crow was like Blown away didn't realize holy shit This guy wrote all this stuff Wow yep. and it's This song specifically I was pointing to Tom as he was saying this he did the same thing when Jar Flies came up talking about it when I stay away and he started discussing that song. The same thing with this. If you start playing the opening to seasons, I'm back in college. It's the fall. I can imagine. I know exactly where I'm at. I can picture the song. It's very moody. What I like to think this song is, it's very Led Zeppelin like. Yes. Doesn't need to pick up. There are certain songs like that. And actually, Kind of similar, the Lovemongers do a song kind of like that where the acoustic just keeps going, going. Yeah, there might be one too many verses on this. Didn't need to. But I will tell you, his vocals on this are incredible. Mm -hmm. Incredible. And this is the thing about grunge. I talked about Eddie Vedder's. Before that, I was saying, what a fucking vocal performance by Lane Staley. And then Cornell comes in and does this. All of them, and now you're sitting there going, shit, who's better than them? Like, fuck, I don't know who the best of these are. Oh, wait, I, st- I still got Scott Weiland of Stone Temple Pilots to, to, to go to. Like, this is why I love this music. Very distinct voices, very simple. His vo- voice on this song is insane. It changes. It's the tone, the, the, the volume, the, the range that he has. It's a beautiful, melancholy Zep like song in my opinion I love it yeah Fucking love it seasons plays when the theory of eternal dating cue card comes up in the middle of the movie it actually has a couple different segments oh and I also forgot to play tell you that breath plays in Sonny's uh, favorite scene when Cliff and his girlfriend are on the couch and she's are my breasts big enough for you <laughs> and he says no because you look like a boy <laughs> 
Yeah, that's not what he says. Pony. And then it's also played, Breath is also played right before he's like, hey, that yellow light has been on for too long. I won't spoil it Yeah, for the <clears throat> people that might see the movie. But yeah, that part is when it, seasons played a couple, like two or three times, I remember the clip of that coming in. One of them was at the, uh, kind of like the cue card kind of things. And then when she gets back from Alaska and Steve is kind of waiting for her to talk to her, it's there. And then again, when the mayor says, my answer is, and he shines on Dizzy Dean like teeth. He <laughs> yep. goes, no. Yep. And then he, uh, yeah. And then he quits and does that all the shit. That's when it plays. So it's there for a reason. And it makes for like a perfect part of the musical score for this album. Yeah. And also speaking of Spoonman too, there's a little, there's a very brief segment of the movie where you can hear almost an acoustic based version of Spoonman yep. as they, as they go into a scene. And I was like, Oh, okay. This version is actually better than the horrible version that Sonny likes. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually uh, plays quickly as they staple the citizen Dick. Yep. Uh, exactly. Flyers on the telephone poles. Yep. 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 Yeah. So that's uh, Seasons. Let's go to song number four. So my first listen through the album, right? We get to four, song number four, Dyslexic Heart. And I remember thinking that Eddie Murphy bit popped into my head. This ain't no McDonald's, right? It's <laughs> yeah. like, wait a second. What the hell is it? I had to look over. I'm like, damn, $3.11 or whatever. Got me the wrong goddamn song on one of the, <laughs> right? Like it's been copied or something. And they just like penciled <laughs> it in or something. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe this is supposed to be on here. Then I'm like, man, I, I don't think I really know what dyslexia means. So I w- went and looked up the term, a general term for disorders that involve difficulty in learning to read or interpret words, letters, and other symbols, but that do not affect general intelligence. Mm-hmm. So I guess he's trying to figure out what his woman's thinking. And I thought, good fucking luck. I've been with the same one for 26 years and I ain't got a clue. So if that's what this song is about, good luck, dude. Um, Song's got a completely different feel. I like the peppiness. I think if it would have had some backing vocals, it probably could have been a hit on the pop charts. Um, it's kind of a cheesy song, but it fits the movie and the feel and the you know the the whole chick flick thing going on. Kind of like the rockabilly kind of pop flavor to it. And I was bopping my head when I was listening to it. There's no doubt about that. Now, I don't know a damn thing about the replacements. So what I do when I don't know about a band, I go to Spotify. And I go to some top songs, right? Mm-hmm. So I went and listened to Bastards of Young, Cruella de Vil, 
I'll be you in merry-go-round. Mm-hmm. Meh. <laughs> Paul, do your own thing. Cause it's better, dude. I don't know about this replacement shit. Oh, you're going to upset our big, our good buddy Murph. Murph is a <laughs> big groupie for the replacements. Uh, me, not so much, but, but, but that being said, so Paul Westerberg's Paul Westerberg scores the, the album as well throughout it. And you can hear different versions of this song and, and, and uh, the other song that he has on the album. Um, I, li- I like the song um, it, it, at the time that it came out, you know, it's the, it's the early to mid nineties and you had a lot of that jangle pop alternative, you know, lemon heads stuff, gin blossom stuff. You know, it wasn't grunge. It wasn't rock, but it was like peppy poppy alternative stuff. And I think he does a good job on this song. I think his other song that's on the album is better. And we'll eventually get to that. Um, I think the choruses are very catchy. You know, the, the, the lyrics are funny and um, I, I think it's a lighthearted song. And I, I think in, in, the, in the track listing of the album, I think it comes at a good place because you got wood, breath and seasons. And I think this out, al- this song kind of lets you catch your breath. If you kind of listen to the album in order, it kind of lifts you up and puts you maybe in a little bit of a good mood after uh, those three kind of grungy type downer songs. Um, but yeah, I like Paul Westerberg's voice. Again, he's, you know, big influence on that alternative kind of grunge scene with the replacements and his solo material. So I, I think it's a fun song. I, I like it. Dyslexic Heart, Paul Westerberg, uh, written by Paul Westerberg, a guy from Minnesota and uh, influenced the Seattle sound. So, uh, the acoustic version of this is on the deluxe edition. Mm-hmm. And the other song on the deluxe edition I believe it's uh, Blue Heart is a kind of a different version of the same song. Yep. In the movie, it plays when they first see the coffee shop. And the coffee shop, get it? The six friends, they hang out and they're all hanging out at the coffee shop. Yeah. The, the, I think, hot one works there as a waitress. <laughs> There's a boy that works there, too. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Anyways, it also is the closing credits in the movie when the movie ends i you know it's a kind of a it's a pop song it's like a bubblegum pop song yeah it's 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 okay it's it's good it's not bad it's nothing that i would seek out but if Mm -hmm. i hear it i'm like okay that's pretty that that's pretty cute i get it it's a pop fun song uh the lyrics are kind of clever or maybe they're not depends if you think he's basically he can't read someone's heart he reads it backwards or makes mistake in love dyslexic heart. That's how I took it as mm-hmm. it's an okay song. That's how I love, you know, his voice is decent. It's, 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 it's just catchy. That's all. So yep. let's move on to the next track.
so the Battle of Evermore. So as I'm looking through the tracks that were on the back of the CD, I'm like, oh, okay, I got that Allison Chain song because I got the box set thing. Uh, I've, I don't know if I've heard that Pearl Jam song in my 10 CDs sitting on Highway 680 somewhere when I threw it out the window. <laughs> and uh, I own all the Cornell stuff, but I had not heard Seasons, I don't think, before. And uh, I didn't know who Paul Westenberg, were, uh, Westenberg was. So then the Lovemongers. I'm like, wait a second. I know who the Lovemongers are. Why do I know who the Lovemongers are? So I go to the archives to go look for a CD. And I've got this 1988 Christmas CD by the Lovemongers. And I remember I was in a rabbit hole because I loved 80s heart so much Mm -hmm. that I was on a mission to find everything Ann Wilson, Nancy Wilson had ever done. Realized that heart was a band from the 70s. Realized, except for the hits, a lot of the 70s stuff is a little bit of a hard listen for me. And then was, you know, kind of uh, interested in this Christmas album that came out at the time. So I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. I had no idea Nancy was married to Cameron Crowe. No clue until about a week ago. So I, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, uh, I guess reading the magazines that tell you all that People stuff. People magazine. Yeah. yeah, I'm not that guy. So Anne can obviously sing and the dual vocal is great. But I will tell you, I don't know why a live song has to make an album like this. The guitar is way too loud in the mix to where you can barely hear the vocal as it is. And reality is this is not one of my favorite Led Zeppelin songs. I think the song and the version is just boring. I, I, and now when I listen to seasons, I wish there was something that could have made it a little more uplifting and it would have been here. There was nothing they could have done to this song that would have made it any better for me. I just, I just don't. The only thing that sounds good to me is the vocals of them together. Cause you don't hear that a lot in heart music. It's either Anne's doing 99% of the vocal and Nancy gets a song every once in a while and hearing them together is kind of cool. Um, but that's about it. Yeah. So it was interesting because on, on Cameron Crowe, Zeus mentioned earlier, Cameron Crowe also directed Almost Famous. And uh, until oh, that, that came out in 2000, until then, Zeppelin had never really licensed any of their music on a soundtrack. Um, so you wonder if the battle of Evermore was used as a kind of a backdoor to get a Zeppelin song. Oh yes. To get, to get, to to get a song on here. Um, and then to give the love mongers who is, you know, his wife put them, put them on the soundtrack. Uh, because a lot of people you know, think Zeppelin, you know, obviously big influence on everybody. Uh, Look, I'm a Zeppelin guy. Zeus is a Zeppelin guy. I think the song is fucking horrible. It's the worst song on Zeppelin four. I think it's really, really bad. That being said, as bad as the Zeppelin version is, I think this version is better. I think that their voices together, I think Ann Wilson's voice is spectacular. And I think a song like this really showcases her, her power and vocal range. Not that Robert Plant doesn't have power and vocal range. God knows he's probably the best at it or one of the best at it. But um, I like this, you know, I, I like the, I don't seek it out. You know, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna seek this out when I put on singles. But this version makes it a little bit more listenable for me. I'm really not a fan of the Zeppelin version at all. Um, so plus, I think it's cool. You know, Cameron Crowe puts his his wife on the soundtrack. Um, you know, under a kind of an alias name of the Love Mongers with a Zeppelin tune. I'll take it. I didn't know the Love Mongers until recently. Was the Wilson Sisters either? So the Love Mongers, the Battle of Evermore, written by Jimmy Page and Robert Plant, off of Zeppelin Four. 
It's the Wilson sisters, Sue Ennis and Frank Cox. I think it's a cheap way to put heart on his on the soundtrack. <laughs> yep. It's uh, you know, and they never left their Seattle roots. Let's be honest. Uh, heart and supposedly the Wilson sisters opened themselves up their home and the love of the Seattle musicians and were friends of all those bands growing up. It made sense to put them in. Think about how Cam and Crow fell in love with all these guys. Obviously his wife and them obviously put a, a lot of, uh, uh, feelers out there for some of those bands and stuff. And they, and they gravitated towards that. The mandolin on this is fucking fantastic, but I gotta say Zeppelin does fall into some of this Dungeons and Dragons, Lord of the Rings shit. I mean, that's what this is. Lord of the Rings shit. Mm-hmm. Battle of Evermore. Yep. I'm not going to say whether I like this better than the Zeppelin version. I think it gave me a new found appreciation of the song because I wasn't a big fan of it on Zeppelin 4 before. Yep. But I, when this comes on, I got into it. And more of the fact, after I realized it's the Heart Sisters doing this, I liked it more because I know that Ann Wilson does herself some great Zeppelin covers Mm -hmm. and you know, they're big time Zepp fans and they do this song justice. I think this is a good song. I I like the version. Uh, It's very different, but they put a live stuff on because they don't have any albums. They didn't do studio stuff. So they cut it as live pretty decent. Okay. Nothing special, but okay. Let's go to the next track. This is my 
So this is the part of the podcast where I might get hung up on. It was really nice being on this podcast for as long as I lasted. Here we go. Um, because my opinions on some of the songs that are coming up may not hit home very well. All right. The good part about this song. I like the the ideas of what the song is around, right? The whole thing about, you know, the girlfriend wants to be a stripper. She leaves after an hour. Maybe somebody grabbed her ass the wrong way. I don't know. And then the whole part about the song being about this uh, whole nasty breakup because of the heroin, right? I think that it's got a beautiful beginning. I think the lyrics are well-written. I had heard the song before. I could not figure out where the hell I heard the song before till I started doing some research and realized it was insane anything, but it wasn't yep. on the soundtrack. That's why I've heard the song before. There's a ton of emotions in the song. I will give it that. The song is too fucking long. The vocal is really tough to, for me to listen to because it's just, it doesn't have the phrasing and the smoothness that a song with this type of emotion to me needs. So like the vocal, like pierces through, like I need, I'm not in love with Billy Corgan's voice either, but I think Billy would have done this song better because he's got a smoother voice. Somebody like a Janie Lane that can really sing a ballad. Well, like it just, to me, it needs that. And because of that, about halfway through, I just kind of lost interest. I, the 11 or 12 times I listened to this album, this song was painful to get through all 11 or 12 times. I, it's just too long. I don't know where to go with that. <laughs> so it was nice being on the podcast. I love you two guys. I'll see you in Vegas someday. Nope. That's okay. That's okay. That's why we have you on there. So Chloe dancer crown of thorns. Yeah. So this song to me, I mentioned earlier how seasons uh, puts me in a place. This song to me, I'll save it for rankings about the extent at which I uh, love this song. Sonny mentioned how, you know, it's about his, uh, his uh, fiance, Zana La Fuente, who had planned to be a stripper, but she left. And then Crown of Thorns comes in, is written about their breakup. Crown of Thorns, the song itself, is on their, their, their album, Apple. Chloe Dancer has never been released as standalone. It's only available as the combo with Crown of Thorns. Here's a great way. I, I read this review about this, this song. And it says, of course, Mother Love Bone was no longer in existence by the time Crow was producing singles. But if the passing of Andrew Wood affected the director's vision of the film, he honored the man by including this song. Wrenching, gorgeous, otherworldly, eight minutes of emotional upheaval, somber and joyous, delicate and raucous. Okay, this song to me is just, I, I, I talking about it, I, I don't feel like I can do it justice for how good and amazing and perfect it is. I understand that that also has to do with nostalgia. We talk about this all the time, where you are in your life when you hear music. But this particular song, those that opening piano, no, those piano keys at the beginning, and then how it transfers right into Crown of Thorns. And then it just kicks into another gear. And then one of my favorite parts of the song is in how it quiets down. There's that quiet interlude, and you think the song is getting ready to fade out. Sonny probably wishes it did. Yes. But then all of a sudden, Andrew Wood, you get that kick it, and then the song just takes off with background singers. It The song just soars to a, a conclusion that I just think is just, it is spectacular. If you're, a, if you're a Seattle grunge fan or whatever, this song is just, oh, 
am- amazing. I just can't say enough, and we'll maybe get into it more when we do rankings. But um, I could I could do an episode on this song. Mother Love Bone does Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns, written by Andrew Wood, Stone Gosser, Jeff Ament, Gregory Gilmore, and Bruce Fairweather. So you notice that the first two, the first three were basically what would have become Pearl Jam. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gregory Gilmore was the drummer. Bruce Fairweather was the guitarist. Those guys left. All of a sudden comes in Mike McCready and Eddie Vedder and and then the drummer too as well. Well, Dave Knudsen back then. So it's the two songs uh, sequenced together. As Tom said, that's why it makes it eight minutes long. And you can get them, one on the EP Shine and the other one on the album Apple. So the song itself, I feel like if it wasn't on this, it should have been on Use Your Illusion 1 or 2. It is the It constantly and always reminds me of like estranged or some sort of Guns N' Roses long song. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. And that whole, the specific part is it. It's the kind of, it's, the kind. it's yep, like that yep, actual yep. voice that he transforms himself into. I'm like, it sounds like Adam Sandler doing that actual voice. He's doing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> sloppy Joe's, right? <laughs> and I had that written down. I'm. A, it almost sounds like a Adam Sandler parody. That's yeah. that vocal. It's is the just, kind it's not of, smoother. it's the kind of. <laughs> but it moves me, man. It moves me. The fucking opening. That piano, the ooh, mm-hmm. oh my god! If that doesn't put you in the mood of Tom and back at Stonehill, man, tell me this in seasons they both do it. These two songs. Oh my god! It's a beautiful song. Yep. The vocals are great. The guitars are great. The drums are great. The fucking song kicks ass. You mentioned it being on Say Anything. It was on Rolling Stone's list of best 50 songs over seven minutes, but Rolling Stone sucks, so who gives a fuck what they say? It's an epic song. It's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous fucking song. And for those that, you know, grunge or this and that, listen to this song. You're going to find, you be like, wow, what the fuck is Sonny Pooney talking about? Listen to this song, you'll never listen to grunge again. So yeah. If you want to give grunge a chance. Don't start with this song. It's very well known from pulling large pieces. No, it's very <laughs> well known as being Mother Love Bones, like epic classic. Yep. Uh, give it a listen. I can't do it justice. Okay. But, oh, and the last thing is I want to mention this song did come up three times in the movie. Uh, it plays after she has sex with the foreign guy <laughs> in the beginning, right? I, I from, love what happens later in the movie. That's what, one of my favorite parts. Of and the he movie. just I'm looks like, at her. He just looks at her like tough shit. That's, yeah, oh, oh, well, you got me. You got me. <laughs> Sounds like a poony move. But what that's I want to know is. That's why I loved it. Do you think he had an accent or do you think he was no, like. A, I think that shit's made up too. Oh, the whole thing's oh. made up. Really? You think oh, the yeah. whole. I, I don't know. I just, I thought that like he wasn't leaving part isn't. It you is know. nice. I draw a picture of you. You give me garage door opener. <laughs> yeah, that's a wicked Borat accent. Yeah. There. You're right. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, it is a little Borat. It also plays while they're in the car and with his buddy Bailey on the way to the club when he first meets her. Yep. And then finally, it also plays when uh, Cliff and uh, Janet were on that breakup and Cliff looks up and he sees her. And it's always the, the Chloe dancer part. 
mm-hmm. not the crown of thorns part. So those are the other three parts. And previous to that, I forgot to mention battle of evermore was not in the movie at all. At least right. I didn't hear it. I didn't. So either. ready to hear the next track. Let's Here do we it. go. ritual oh, the guitar on this song is unbelievable the the riff the solo the rhythm just the guitar just the tone of it is so perfect for this song it is ridiculous then normally i like it to where when the vocal starts that it's a little bit louder than the guitar and you could make it out but because and i hope it was on purpose that they actually backed off the vocal a little bit and the guitar is so loud that Cornell has to literally scream the lyrics to get the piercing vocal through the music. And oh my God, he is hitting notes that are unbelievable. Like when he says, I light a cigarette before the execution, like he is in a world that not many people can get to. And I sent you guys a, a little clip of me in the car because for like... <laughs> Three and a half weeks, I'm like, Ritual! Ritual! <laughs> like, all, anytime I could do it, I'm like, Ritual! Like, I, it's crazy. All that being said, the first 42 seconds of the song fucking trash it. Because it does absolutely <laughs> nothing for me. Like, just started 43 seconds, and this song would be unbelievably incredible. It is the only song out of these 13 that I listen to every day since November 18th. That's because I've heard Wood a lot, and I've not heard Birthday Ritual a lot. 
birth ritual. I was on board with everything Sonny said until he said to get rid of the beginning. I love that. I think that adds to it. That little bit of that warped kind of backward sounding thing. And then all of a sudden you just get your skull crushed by one of the most unbelievable riffs. And uh, this is like metal. Like this is not, this is, this is borderline grunge metal. The song. I mean, if somebody has never heard of Soundgarden and you're trying to figure out a way to introduce them to what Soundgarden site sounds like both musically and to explain to them what Chris Cornell can do vocally, this may be the instructional video, the song that I would play for them. This has everything that makes Soundgarden unfucking believable. His vocal range in this song is just obscene. Sonny said it. And the music is just, oh, I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's amazing. And, and, and they're, they're in the movie. But yeah, I mean, Birth Ritual Soundgarden, just what can be said other than if you're a Soundgarden fan, or even if you're not a Soundgarden fan, this this song just has it all. It's spectacular music and vocals. Birth Ritual by Soundgarden, written by Matt Cameron, Kim Thale, Chris Cornell. I I, I echo all the compliments. I echo them. Uh, it's incredible. This is actually played live in the the concert, and they show them playing this live for quite a bit. And if you remember, when they're playing this live, it seems as though Kim Thale is, like, subdued. How the fuck are you subdued wearing a baseball cap playing this guitar riff? It is the sickest riff. And then you watch in the movie, Alice in Chains is playing It Ain't Like That. And I love the song, but it's kind of a plodding, grungy song. They yeah. are banging their fucking heads as though it's the hardest, most metal song of all time. And then Soundgarden's Birth Ritual, which is twice as big. And Thales like, do, 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 do. And the crowd is going insane. Cornell's got his shirt off and he's got, you know, back then he had the Jesus kind of hairdo and, yep. and he's just singing the song and the rest of the band is playing along to it. Uh, Malfader in the, in the baseball cap from uh which, uh, which board that's Kim Thale. If you want to hear uh, my Malfader theory about him from uh, that movie, you can go listen to our super unknown uh, discussion. <laughs> Cornell ends up crowd surfing, very grungy back then. He climbs the stage above. He starts, he hangs the microphone upside down and he sings the song upside down. Mayhem. <laughs> what the fuck? Yep. And I'm thinking like, oh, is that where Eddie Vedder started stealing that of climbing up and then does it in unplugged? And there's yep. so many clips of Eddie Vedder climbing the stage. And all the fucking swinging, swinging <laughs> from the pipes and boilers. <laughs> yeah, yep. Right. Um, I'm like, holy shit, you know. And that's when Steve and them come back into the club, and Birth Ritual is playing live, and he's trying to make the call to her when he's in the bathroom, and he's leaving the voicemail towards the end of the movie on, on her voice machine. Remember? So that's when that plays. The slow buildup, actually, I'm with Tom. Didn't need yep. that much long, 
but it builds up. I mean, still, like, do you need it? Not really, but I like the buildup. That riff, it's like the machine gun mm-hmm. in Jailbreak from ACDC. Right? That's insane. I can't, I'd have to find words to describe in a dictionary his vocal range on this. The it's he has his nuts in a in a vice throughout yeah. this whole song. What's incredible, Sonny, just for the version, there's a live version of this mm-hmm. on the deluxe edition. <laughs> he, it's he insane. It there too. It's like what? It's mesmerizing how good it is the song. Fucking rocks. I've always loved this, and it's always stayed out in my head. The live version of this makes the deluxe version a, a must buy at least i think so and uh i'm with you guys all all the uh accolades you guys gave this i can't say enough let's real move on quick to the next one. Oh, go ahead it's, it's kim who i blame for the sound garden live problem because what ends up happening because i've seen sound garden live a couple of times now right and what would happen is chris has got the guitar on because he's got to fill out the music so he can't do all the crazy stuff that he's doing and Kim is literally just standing there. So mm-hmm. it is amazing live music, boring as a hell. If I want to close my eyes and listen to Soundcard, I'll just stay home. Yep. Right? So Zeus, that's, you, that's, Zeus yeah. you said it great. Like the way Alice in Chains is live on oh, stage, yeah. you said it ain't like that. That's, that's a, oh, it's a great, my God. It's a great the song. Head banging in yeah. that in the oh, movie is oh. insane. It makes you like the song better when you're seeing that. Yes. Right. Oh, oh my God. Shit. Cantrell yes. and them look awesome. Yes. Oh, I, I don't, I just, I, I'm with you on it, Sonny. Uh, I, I, and Tom, I just, I, I can't get enough of the song. I just think, yeah. But as much as we say that about him, the guitar is insane. Even the, even the, the solo on this is incredible. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I, I, let's go to the next track.
state of love and trust. Okay. I like the start of the song and I realized when Eddie started singing, it's his, it's his tone and phrasing that really gets on my tits. I heard that the, the other, I don't know what gets on my tits means. I heard that on the last episode, figured I would use it here. Um, and that suicide solution shit he's doing in the middle, I would, all I could think is just shut the fuck up, dude. Like you did your vocal part, just shut up and let the rest of it happen. Because I actually like the outro guitar solo. I like the stuff they're doing with the guitar. I like that it ended like a kiss song. The, any lyrical content that has to do with, and this is in any genre of music, by the way, any lyrical content that has to do with this basic instinct of love and how it makes you feel and how can, how it can kind of destroy you sometimes, make you happy. And sometimes I'm always in. So I, I, I got no problem with that. I like the pace of the song. I thought the guitars and the vocal was a little hidden in the mix. So you would say, what is loud? I think that maybe the drums are too loud. I don't know if it's the production. I've heard this song produced better. I think the Spotify version I heard maybe was a different version. So, cause I've heard the song before because Zeus gave me a, a 10 songs from Pearl Jam to listen to. Um, <laughs> nice. By the way, I did an episode around that uh, cu- coming to you someday in 2021 to let you know what I felt about those 10 songs. Um, wow. Anyway, I think the song, the vocal needs to be out front a little bit. This is, Eddie does not have the distinction that Chris has where he can kind of pierce the vocal through, not in my opinion. So I think his vocal needs to be up front a little bit, but there was parts of the song I like, and then there's parts of the song I don't like. But I absolutely hate the suicide solution. The it's like just shut up. Well, you can just take everything Sonny said, and whatever the bizarro version of that review of the song is, is mine because I'm a Pearl Jam fan. I said it already about Breath. Ten is my album. This was another song recorded during the ten sessions with Breath. It was it was recorded during ten, and it was it was recorded for the with the intention of maybe appearing in singles. It's I I just think this is everything. Now I know Sonny isn't a Pearl Jam fan, so I I, I understand his criticisms and his analysis. I'm a Pearl Jam fan. This song gives me everything I want in a Pearl Jam song. It, it it's upbeat. The guitars are ripping. Eddie is doing all different kinds of things, whether it's the the verses, the chorus, the the ending when he's screaming the yeah yeah yeah. The solo is is blistering. I, I, just a huge fan of it. And uh Jeff Ament said that the lyrics are based on what Eddie took when he watched the film. Uh, and he said, you know, he 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 thinks he took a a heavier angle on what the movie was about than a lot of people will, but that's Eddie. And the song, according to Cameron Crowe, he said, the song is about battling with your instincts in love. Um, And that Eddie introduced it as a song about being faithful, which is ironic because Pearl Jam also has a very popular song called Faithful. Um, So for me, State of Love and Trust, uh, again, I'm going to save some other comments for when we get to the rankings, but um, this is everything I want in a Pearl Jam song. And again, I'm just, I'm thrilled that these two songs are from the 10 sessions because they could have been on the album, but yeah, love this song. Love what's going on with it. State of love and trust by Pearl Jam written by Eddie Vedder, Mike McCready, Jeff Ament. Um, So another one written during the 10 sessions, Dave uh, Cruson was on this one, Tom. Yep. And then basically Dave Abruzzi comes on as we talked about this breath, um, even flow video in Dirty Frank. So, yeah, 
That's the Joycey voice that we do in oh. our one of our college friend. Uh, it's a <laughs> hard to describe. I don't know why we would do it, but whatever. I know Dave Abruzzi was eventually kicked out of Pearl Jam, and he had some animosity between him and uh, Jeff Ament and mm-hmm. Eddie Vedder. But the fans really like him. He was more of a rocker when he was in Pearl Jam, more of like like love this stuff and more of a like that lifestyle and fans really took to him, but the other two didn't like him and they didn't like that. He was living that lifestyle, basically an LA lifestyle, enjoying money, girls and fame. Jeff Ament basically said that he liked the early version so much better. Oh, he plays so much better. He plays with spirit when he was written in it much, much trash. It's just so much better. Who does that remind you of? Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons. Uh, yeah. Oh, way better than Peter. Chris. Oh, oh, blue Peter Chris away. Blue, blue, blue Peter Chris away. Oh, yeah. yeah. From extreme close up. That's what he reminds me of. So they're shitting on the guy. I think the drumming on this song fucking kicks ass. I don't know what mm-hmm. he's talking about. Uh, vocals, great. Guitar is great. You you mentioned it, Tom. You said sp- Eddie supposedly got the lyrics from uh, May see the, the script and read that and intellectualize. Like, he read the script and he, he basically wrote that what the song comes up with. Cam and Crow ended up saying the song is like battling with your instincts in love. Uh, Vetter introduced the song once about a song about being faithful. I don't know if that's what the song's about. Whatever. It's on its Unplug album when they came. It just got released, which I have. It's fantastic. I'm glad I got it on a CD version and that which was released in 1992. But just put on an album recently. Uh, the lyrics are fantastic, especially the and I listen to the voices inside my head. Oh yep. my god! Yeah, uh, I know. And we haven't gone to the rankings yet. This is the one that gets a lot more attention by people when they bring up the two songs on this album, mm-hmm. "State of Love" and "Trust Us." It gets yep. way more attention. And I believe the song plays when the two go out dancing, the two girls. Yes. And then she runs into the guy. Oh, yep. well, sorry. Sucks to be you. Yeah. And then she goes out kind of crying and outside, whatever. Yep. But that's when that part plays in the movie. So anyways, that's state of love and trust. So let's move on to the next one. Overblown by Mud Honey. I have no idea who Mud Honey is. I don't know what Mud Honey is. It sounds like a cereal, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know anything about them. Listen to the song the first time, second, third time. I'm like, oh, it's kind of got like a 
sarcastic feel. I should probably like this song because people have called me sarcastic. It fits to those people. I say, fuck you, but whatever. Um, so I was like, eh. it's kind of got this weird, I felt like a sixties vibe, like a kind of a song, like you would hear cream do or something, but then it's got this kind of like punk pace to it. So I'm like, am I supposed to, do I like this? Do I not like this? I'm still there. Even after listening to it umpteen times, I think it's the pace that's attracting me. I think it's the, the Hey, 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 Hey's that maybe is attracting me, but there's something about this song that's keeping me at least interested. It isn't the singer. The singer's okay. He's not Cornell. Many, there's not many of those out there. I get it. Uh, so the guy wasn't going to make this band on his voice. I don't did was mud honey big in the grunge years. I, I don't, I don't know anything about mud honey. So there, that's my take. Yeah, so Mud Honey is kind of like one of the one of the forefathers of the whole grunge movement. Um, so th- th- this is when you kind of get into that incestuous background of what, mm-hmm. what went on in Seattle with grunge. So just real briefly, so you got Pearl Jam on this album, you got Mud Honey on this album. So Jeff Ament was in a band called Green River back in the mid '80s. After Green River kind of fell apart, um, they kind of put together Mud Honey, and Mud Honey became like just very, very influential in, in the grudge thing, especially uh, they had an EP called super fuzz, big muff with, with a song, with a song called touch me. I'm sick, which ironically there's a song in singles performed by citizen Dick called touch me. I'm Dick. So th- that whole connection there. So mud honey is, is like a forefather uh, of the, of the, of the grunge thing. They were, they were big in the late eighties, right. Till, till kind of like they kind of separated, they still put out stuff in the nineties. They actually had a bass player, but whose last name was Lucan, which if you're a Pearl Jam fan, they made a song called Lucan. I'm going to Lucan. Yep. So there's a, there's a lot of connections there. So, but, but that being said, they wrote the song kind of as a goof, you know, overblown the grunge scene. Everybody's overblown with it and everything. I think the song's kind of cool. I think it's very grungy. Uh, the Hey, 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 like Sonny said, I think is kind of cool. Everybody loves our town. That, that's the name of the grunge book that I have. That that's, that's great. Um, about the history of grunge, you know, that's uh, the first lyrics of the song. So it, it's a cool song. I, I get why it's on the album. Uh, you know, mud honey was very important to that scene. So I, I can see why it's on it. It's pretty good. It's, it's an upbeat kind of punkish tune. I like it. Overblown by mud honey written by mud honey, just credit to the whole band. Yep. Uh, it's, it's basically about the, the, the attention Seattle was getting. It jokes about them leaving town because now it's all overblown. And you're right, Tom, Touch Me, I'm Sick is the very big, like, grunge kind of anthem, very popular song. And they basically, as a wink, wink, made Touch Me, I'm Dick by <laughs> Citizen Dick. You know, a lot of people think, as Cliff explains in the yeah. movie. But anyways, they were given $20,000 to record the song, Tom. Did you know that? I- and it cost them $164, and then they just pocketed the rest. <laughs> nice move yeah (laughs) it's a basically it's a punk kind of song it's a kind of punkish kind of band this if you if you saw their look sunny you would say ah this is where nirvana gets this yeah those two to three minute quick kind of like you know um punkish kind of songs the look Mm -hmm. the sound that's early Nirvana in Nirvana's definitely influenced by them. Yeah. And except Nirvana put a little bit more of a pop flavor to it on a lot of their tracks, 
but that's what it is. And Mark Arm, who is the lead singer for these guys, he was in the band with uh, those guys from Pearl Jam and Green River. And he, along with Chris Cornell, and uh, is uh, perform a song called Right Turn, which I brag about all the yep. time. It's on Sap by Alice in Chains, the four of them. Elaine Staley sings a verse, Mark Arm sings a verse, uh, Chris Cornell sings a verse, and Jerry Cantrell sings a verse. Fucking my favorite Alice in Chains song of all time. It's it's gorgeous. Go listen to Right Turn off of Sap. Yeah, it's it's a pretty cool, fast-paced song. It's the two, three-minute kind of punk song. And I love that verse a little bit. Long live rock and roll. You know, yep. it's, Cameron Crowe said Mark Arm may have started the grunge movement and probably ended it with this song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, this song actually comes up a couple different times. It plays when they first ask the mime for directions. The mime is Eric Stoles. Did you oh, know that? Unless. I, 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 I would never have guessed that if I didn't read that, but I was like, that the only, voice. the only reason I knew that is when he opens his mouth and talks, I'm like, that's Eric Stoltz. Yep. Yeah. He's quite annoying in that whole fucking movie. Yep. Especially the deleted scenes. If you saw that and it always plays at the end of Debbie's awful video oh, date thing. It's fantastic. The d- Come to Debbie country. Yeah. <laughs> Seeing those videos. And then yeah. knowing where we are now about right swipe left or right or however oh, yeah. this is swipe, yeah, it, it, <laughs> just it's it wasn't that long ago, no. right? It's just amazing where we have graduated to. And some quick trivia about the about the the video dating. So w- w- that girl who says, you know, oh, he's only the next Martin Scorsese. <laughs> yeah. that that guy, that's Tim Burton. Oh, yeah. is it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. Twenty. That. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Ten dollars. Yeah. Twenty. He's only like the next Martin Scorsese. Yeah, Apparently yeah that Tim Burton actress is dead. I know. I yeah, know that's right. Yeah, God rest her soul. She passed away. Yeah, you're right. I like the one guy, and they're showing the clips, and the guy goes, "I'm very, 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 very lonely." lonely. <laughs> and he's just like <laughs> staring into the screen. That is so awesome. Yeah, oh, I, I think that's great. In the end, I think it's a pretty decent song. That's yeah. That's overblown by Mud Honey. Let's go to the next one.
So we got Paul Westerberg again with Waiting for Somebody. Again, Peppy Song, that whole uh, uh, uh-huh, oh yeah, again, like it's got that chart hit type material. The song has a feel that it could be a TV theme show song. Like this could have been the friend song. Like there's, there's nothing that stops this from being the friend song. The kids, because they were in the car a couple of times when I was listening to this, this was a favorite song on the CD because it's fun. It's a Mm -hmm. fun Mm -hmm. song. Then I started thinking the other day, I'm like, I've never heard of Paul. Like he could have been Brian Sesser probably in the late 90s, early 2000s. Did this guy have a career after the replacements? Like, did he do anything else? Because he's got the voice and the songwriting ability to be on the pop charts. So to answer your question, he has a solo album called 14 Songs. If you like these two songs off the single soundtrack, his album 14 Songs is one of the most underrated 90s albums I've, I own. It is terrific. It's it's just very pop singer songwriter oriented very melodic very catchy um it's a great great album it's called 14 songs and it's all of his uh it's a solo album by paul westerberg if you're interested in that excellent excellent album uh that being said waiting for somebody i think it's a great song very catchy i love the uh like anytime there's like gang vocals with with a with a chorus or anything very catchy song big fan of this one i think this is much much better than uh dyslexic heart which i still like as well but yeah i think this is a i think this is a fun song and again i know we mentioned we talked about dyslexic heart i like how he scored the movie so you can hear you can hear versions of both songs as the musical score of the album too and i think that that's kind of a neat uh a neat thing too so yeah i I like this song and again that that his solo album is is excellent so if you're a fan of that stuff waiting for somebody by Paul Westenberg, written by Paul Westenberg. I think the melody fits the score perfectly, Tom. You're absolutely right. The, you know, it's it's just kind of whoever saw that and thought about the whole friends thing, the coffee shop, you probably thought of like that would make that type of song would make a great opening theme to this this show. And and that's what basically you get. In the movie, it the movie basically opens with that, mm-hmm. right? with uh, waiting for somebody. And then when Janet decides to break up with cliff and then uh, after Debbie meets her rich guy and cliff delivers the flowers and you, you'll hear clips of it throughout the score of the movie. It's got a pretty good guitar solo, which is a little bit underrated, but it's, you know, it's a catchy poppy song. Uh, the gang vocals uh, is our present. And uh, I think it was uh, Cameron Crowe was like talking about how the people like doing this album were like, oh, great. You want clapping? You want, you know, uh, gang vocal vocals? Yeah. Can we contribute? And I guess, uh, you know, you can tell from this song specifically. Mm-hmm. I think it's a fun song. It's it, it's good and it fits perfectly with this album. Next. <laughs> Waterfalls, nothing can harm me at all. My worries seem so very small, but my waterfall. I can. 
So this is a perfect place in the review to say, "Righty, you're stupid." Six one seven five five five. Yeah, because Righty hates Hendrix. I don't know why, but this maybe maybe this is or may this be love. Who knew that Jimmy could write songs that were kind of just a little softer, got the subtle melody, got the cool lyrics? It, it's an odd Jimmy pick for sure. Because if they were looking at selling the soundtrack, and I don't know what it would have cost to get some of the more popular Jimmy songs, there's a lot of Jimmy songs that could have worked in the in the in the movie, no doubt about that. I'm also not sure what this song is about. Feels a little spiritual, but knowing what we know about Jimmy, for all he know, he was hammered and saw waterfalls. He was hammered under a waterfall. Like we all we know is Jimmy was kind of a free spirit. My guess it it just comes uh, to him at some point. I like the song because it shows that Jimmy can do other things besides just the guitar wailing. It's not the guitar. That's the most important in the song. And actually that little jungle drum beat that's getting done fits very, very well with the song. And it's more about Jimmy's vocal and feel than it is about his guitar. So I actually enjoy this one. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a Hendrix guy. Um, I, I always have been, um, I, I, I've never seen or heard this song anywhere else except for the soundtrack in the movie. I, I didn't even know it existed. Look, I'm a Hendrix guy. I'm not a huge fan of the song. It's this is I say this sometimes about certain bands. This is not what I want from Hendrix. It's not a bad song. I think the thing that I like about the song more than anything is the scene in the movie where you hear it, where the the, the Kira Sedgwick and Campbell Scott are kind of hanging out and going through the records. And they put this on and, you know, she kind of sits back and she's like, oh, I love this song. And it, it kind of adds a nice mood to the to the movie. I like that. But the song itself, it, it's OK. I mean, I agree with you, Sonny. It kind of shows a, a side of Jimmy that I don't think any, a lot of people knew even existed. But, yeah, it's it's OK. It's it's not a standout for me, you know, especially when you're dealing with I'm a grunge fan. And give me another friggin Alice in Chains song on here instead. May This Be Loved by the Jimi Hendrix Experience, written by Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, just a kind of very unassuming ballad, right? It's, it's very not typical of Hendrix, apparently, because when I think of Jimmy and all the songs I know of his, uh, nothing like this. But Jimmy's Seattle, so they had to throw something in for him. The The solo is basically at the end of the song, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Nowhere near the middle. It's just kind of gentle. It's on Are You Experienced? That's where this song pops up. Okay. So you can get it off that album. But it, it actually, Tom, you mentioned it too. You, it plays 
when uh, she's over his apartment checking out his records. And uh, it's it's kind of a, I don't know, weird decision to put this this of all the songs in. But uh, you know what? If one thing, it's like it makes you almost think like, oh, okay. It'll get people to discover a different side of Jimi Hendrix and talking about it like we're talking about it. So if Purple Haze was in it, thank God, not the winger version. But if Purple <laughs> Haze was in it, we'd be like, oh, it's Purple Haze. Well, now we'd be like, what the fuck? Where am I going to put it? It's a great song. Where am I putting Purple Haze? Sonny brought up a good point, and 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 maybe that had something to do with it. Maybe it was, uh, you know, we talked about how Smells Like Teen Spirit didn't make the cut because of licensing. Maybe they wanted Jimi Hendrix, and they're like, okay, no one's ever heard of the song. The licensing will probably be peanuts compared to, you know, Hey Joe or something. So let's let's throw this. Maybe that had something, or maybe they really liked it because of the lyrics and the in the fact that it was yeah. a ballad. But yeah, I think I mean it fits the movie. I don't have a problem with that. It's just not, no, it's just for me, just not a great song. All right. Two more to go. Next. So, two more to go. One band I don't know anything about, and one band I wish I had never seen live. So, Screaming Trees. Don't know anything about them. Nearly lost you. Listen to the song the first time. I'm like, wait a second. I know that song. And it was driving me nuts. So, I, I go to my son. I'm like, how do I know the song? He's like, I know that song, too. Dad, it had to have been in some Guitar Hero or something. Otherwise, I wouldn't know the song. I think this was in one of the Guitar Heroes. That's the only thing I can think of. Uh, and I think I saw that somewhere when I was researching it, too. The song definitely has a more rock feel. I am a sucker for the little guitar parts and little guitar fills when, when the song is being sung during the verse that just kind of adds to it. I, I am a total sucker for that. I want the singer to shut up when the guitarist is doing their solo, but I don't mind the guitarist playing while the singer's singing, if that makes sense. Um, again, I brought this up a couple of times. There's a few songs on here that I like the pace of the song. And this is the difference when you get a hard rock guy that's listening to grunge music. A lot of the time is the pace that turns me off. And that isn't um, what happens in this song. This was a chorus I was humming all day. You know, that. It's just something that pops into my head every once in a while, you know, besides ritual, right? You can't hum, hum that anywhere. But, uh, this, this is one of those songs that you'd be humming as you're just kind of working or, or, you know, walking somewhere or whatever. Uh, I don't know a lot about the screaming trees. If the rest of the catalogs like this, I'm probably missing out. Okay. So to start, yes, this song was in rock band and guitar hero five. 
So that's probably the answer. I might have saw, I might have heard it on Rock Band then. Yep. Yeah. Um, and you are missing out on this band because Nearly Lost You is the greatest song off of the greatest grunge album, which is Screaming Tree, Sweet Oblivion. Zeus is smiling because he knew I was going to wet myself over this song. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I was very happy to be a guest on our buddy Baco's Cobras and Fires uh, sidecast when he did the grunge albums, the Rolling Stone, and they did Sweet Oblivion. But since, seriously, if you if you enjoy Nearly Lost You, and you enjoy what you mentioned about the guitars and, and the pacing. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a couple of downbeat songs on Sweet Oblivion. But the the rockers on that song are like this. In Mark Lanigan's voice, everybody talks about Lane Staley and Chris Cornell and Scott Weiland for good reason. Those guys deserved to be talked about. Mark Lanigan, for me, I could listen to this guy read the phone book. Zeus, you've said it, phone book voice. His whiskey soaked dark voice i don't even know how to other it's spectacular and to hear his voice with such an upbeat song like this especially that chorus one of the catchiest chorus and it's right sonny when you think of grunge you don't think of like catchy sing-along choruses it's there's not a lot of them in grunge and this is one of them and i remember i knew nothing about screaming trees either got this soundtrack heard this song and when Sweet Oblivion came out, I'm like, I got to get that. And I bought it right away. And since then, it is, I love Pearl Jam 10. I'll put that over here. But Screaming Trees, Sweet Oblivion, and Thanks to Nearly Lost You, just spectacular. Oh, love it. Nearly Lost You by Screaming Trees, written by Van Connor, Mark Lanigan, and Lee Connor, Mark Lanigan. Sorry. It's on the album Sweet Oblivion. Mm-hmm. The guy that's not on this writ as a writer barrett martin the drumming on this song kicks ass he's an awesome drummer the vocals the guitar the two so the two brothers are the big bassist and guitarist correct Mm -hmm. yes so and if you really want to go um listen to uh screaming trees and go get sweet oblivion or listen to the podcast that Baco and tom did go listen to winter song Oh. That is my favorite song by this band, Winter Song. Go, you you won't regret it. This came out as the singles first, mm-hmm. and we'll get to the part about this as the single with the next song afterwards. How it came out, mm-hmm. and it led to a lot of tension. And uh, this song actually plays during the pregnancy test in the movie. And if you notice, he's also wearing a sub pop T shirt in the in that scene too. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of sub pop in the background and shit like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the song kicks ass. It's another one of these guys that you hear his voice. You're like, holy fuck! That's a, he's. I feel like I think of it him as like grunge Rick Astley. <laughs> okay, <laughs> never gonna do you. Never He's got a voice that doesn't go with the face. He's got that like voice like Trace Adkins, you know, the fucking giant guard. Yeah. Support your military. <laughs> like, what the fuck, dude? Could your voice get deeper? But his voice is so distinctive. You can yeah. pick him up. And he sings a lot of the songs on Mad Seasons uh, album, yes. too, along with, you know, with Lane Staley. Him and Lane Staley were the fucking heroin brothers. I don't know how he's still alive. And he made mm. it through. 
mm-hmm. but he was a big crackhead back in the day. Apparently, mm-hmm. uh, he's got a book out, and I've heard some of the audio version. You can pick some, listen to some of that on YouTube. Jesus Christ! I think I was going to go into rehab after listening to ten minutes of him talking. Like, when did you have time to write music? I don't understand. You're fucking <laughs> loading up all the time. It's fucking insane. Yeah. But well, somehow it led to this talented song. This song did come out and was released as a single. It was number 12 on mainstream rock. Mm-hmm. So they had that going for them. Great song. And let's finish it up with this last song. by the Smashing Pumpkins. All right, let me start with a good. Okay, now. <laughs> there's two things I like about this song. Believe it or not, there's at least two things. I did think Billy did a good job with the vocal. There, There is something about the feel of his phrasing that is working on the song. And all of the little accents that the drummer is doing, whether he's doing it on the hi-hat whether he's doing it with the actual drum, it it absolutely works. The song is just way too long. It needed to fade out at like his problems with long songs. (laughs) I'm getting to that. It needed to fade out at like four Oh eight because I don't need three minutes of fucking guitar noise at the end. This is what I'm talking about. Not knowing how to end a song with a guitar part. The part of the song that most people would love that's probably very Beatlesque. I fucking hate the Beatles. So that doesn't help. And then I realized after listening to this song for the umpteenth time, and I'm like, I know what the problem is. Some of these grunt songs are just taking too long to create the emotion that you're supposed to feel. Like it's trying to put you in a place for X amount of minutes. Dude, I am hit it and quit it. I need no foreplay i need dumbed down three minute songs get it done and go back to my football game so i can do something that i really want to do i don't like anything about the smashing pumpkins period nothing and this did not help 617 555 0850 coming up next week 
Smashing Pumpkins on bonus albums. All right. So Smashing Pumpkins. Smashing Pumpkins are a band for me where when Siamese Dream came out, one of the greatest albums ever made. Oh, Melancholy, my God. Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Eh. Now, it's the year 2020. I can't listen to Billy Corgan's voice without wanting to stick my head inside my gas grill. I, I have no use for this band anymore. That being said, I think Drown is spectacular. And again, the reasons you don't like it are the reasons I do like it. I like the slow burn. I like the buildup. And then I like how it really rips into gear and kicks into gear with both his voice and then the guitars take off. And it's great. But I will agree with you on one thing. Cut out that that noise at the end. There's no need. Three minutes. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like they forgot to stop hit the, the record button. And then somebody's like, oh, shit. The guitar is still like, yeah, because that makes no. I could see 20 seconds, 30 seconds, but three minutes of literal noise. What are you doing? I don't get it. But it's funny. Bill, first of all, plus Billy Corgan, he's such a hateable little fuck. Like, he's just such a just he gives bald guys a bad name. Grow your hair back. He's just a he's just bad. But it's funny because it, it, in, in the notes to the to the CD book, it says Chris Cornell um alerted them to smashing pumpkins early on. And the pumpkins are from the Chicago area. They're not even a Seattle grunge band. Uh, He says they, they, um, Billy Corgan sent him a a tape of demos. And one of the songs was drown. And uh, he, Billy, Billy Corgan wasn't happy that they took drown, but they did. There's a couple other stories with this. Uh, I want to pass it off to Zeus and you can tell the funny story about Billy Corgan and how much of a dick he is, but I like the song. I like the music. I like the buildup and I like the, the, the kind of the ending, except for that, that the really extended ending that's unnecessary. But th- this to me, this might be my favorite smashing pumpkin song, to be honest with you. But yeah, no, I'm a huge fan of it, but just get rid of that ending. Drowned by the smashing pumpkins written by Billy Corgan. So you're right. Chris Cornell alerted Cameron Crow to smashing pumpkins. Those two got into kind of a beef for a while, an altercation. And they would go back at each other every once in a while in the press. And Corgan was making fun of them like, oh, you know, they're just doing it for the money. When they did their reunion back then when Soundgarden back, got back together. And then Cornell brought up the fact that like I, I, I gave him basically he gave this to uh, Cameron Crowe. He's like, so in other words, I gave him $40,000. I'd like that $40,000 back. Pitching that that's what they made off that And fucking if it wasn't for me Fuck off And really if you think about it If they didn't put them on this album I don't know I mean I I would like to think that they would Actually you know start to grow on their own Because Gish their debut album was already out And was doing pretty good And this was kind of on their demos of that So the the, uh, reissue of that Actually has this song on this mm-hmm. um, But anyways As you said he didn't want them to pick Drown he wanted the Actual movie soundtrack to Release this as a single Yep and they chose nearly Lost you as the second single after Wood kind of got out there too And he's like oh this is bullshit What record label is Screaming trees what record label are they on Epic oh well that's what the Album is on too so no wonder they picked them. So you go, yeah, no shit. Okay. Yeah, that's how business works, you dipshit. <laughs> Plus the song's better. <laughs> that too. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, it's fucking long. 
And it's like typical grunge, like, you know, the stuff. It's a stereotypical shit that people bitch about grunge. It's like someone put the guitar down on the stand and left it, and it's just vibrating for the next three minutes. Yep. It's Ace's guitar still flying. Oh, yeah. And nobody turned it off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it's like, wait a minute, you're going to put that on an album? Like, for what? It's just so very, that... And the hidden tracks. It's like fucking so grungy. And Mashing Pumpkins was had fallen into that stuff. I don't know how or where they got the sound, but Smashing Pumpkins fits right into Seattle sound. I don't know, but they do. And you know, I somehow they must have met up because Billy Corgan and Cornell are buddies and were buddies. Uh the song is in the movie basically when uh I think it's when uh, let me think. Matt, yeah, plays right after Steve and Janet kiss, mm-hmm. and then like, wait a minute, we, we should be friends. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, they show Cliff walking down the street with his guitar case. So that plays a little bit there. And then at the end, when Cliff and Janet talk at the end of the movie before their final scene, it plays there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the song. It. I, I know people hate on Billy Corgan. I don't know why he's into wrestling now. He like runs a wrestling promotion. Fucking idiot. And and he has this like real anti-Darcy thing and which everybody loves. Maybe because she used to be hot when she was in the band and he won't let her back into the band because she was got all messed up and shit. So there's a lot of stuff about him that attracts a lot of hate. And uh, it's unfortunate because fucking it's kind of brilliant at some points. Some of it is Siamese yeah. dream cherub rock. Like mm-hmm. shit like that is so fucking insanely good. And his voice, he can do a. I'm not saying he's the top three or four of those guys, but his voice is distinct. And I love that. Even when he just talks and then all of a sudden, um, it goes up to that register. We start screaming. It's good. It works. Mm-hmm. It's distinct. And I like it. So, I don't know. I think the song is pretty good. It's uh, it's it's a little bit long, but it, it's a nice way to end the track. It fits this soundtrack. Yes. And it fits perfectly. Yep. And uh, believe it or not, we're actually, that's the last song and we're done with those songs. Oh, boy. Overall thoughts, Tom. I mean, actually, I go to Sonny first. Sonny. New experience for me. You know, when we get to the rankings, you'll see I had an absolute top three that was clear-cut top three. I have an absolute bottom three that's the clear-cut bottom three. The middle seven could be interchangeable. Um, the movie was meh. Uh, there's a couple of songs on here that I will definitely go back and listen to over and over and over. Uh, I got to try that Paul Westerberg album, and I got to try the Screaming Trees album. Um but, uh, you know, it's, you got to expand your horizons every once in a while. You got to listen to some new stuff. I, I didn't throw it out the window. I still have it. So that's, that's the good news. <laughs> if drown would have been first, maybe I'd throw it out the window. I don't know, but I didn't. So. Yeah. I think I look, this is an album that's very important to me. Obviously Zeus and uh, buddy Murph. It's, a, it's, it's, it's funny cause it is a soundtrack, but I just, I don't even, I forget that the movie exists. I just, I call it singles. And it, it, to me, it just evokes the soundtrack, the music. If I can make one complaint after going after this episode and talk, it, you don't need the Jimi Hendrix song. You don't need the love monger song. 
if you want to give me another grunge song, you know, if you want to throw another Alice in Chains or another Soundgarden or another Chris Cornell or even another Paul Westerberg, something, but th- that's me nitpicking on an album that I love. But yeah, I'm, uh, the, the rankings here, we'll, I'll get to that when we get to the rankings. But yeah. For me, it's, it's, an, it's the nostalgia pick. It makes sense. Uh, I love it. I know Tommy loves it. And I was really interested in see if Sonny would be open-minded and he sounds like, and it sounds like he is. So mm-hmm. uh, I, that's exactly what I love. And I hope you guys that are listening, I know we have a lot of rock guys more so than anything else. And I'm curious to see if you guys will give this a shot. One other thing before we go is I want to get into the rankings, talk about the deluxe edition. Mm-hmm. So the deluxe edition, besides having the extra booklet and pictures and stuff that we talked about, has a bunch of stuff in here that are actually in the movie. There's a score piece by Chris Cornell. Cornell has got like five or six other songs on this. Yep. They're they're basically, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Tom, how many more additional songs are on this? On the on the second disc on the deluxe edition, so he's got nowhere but you, Spoonman, Flutter Girl, Missing, um, and then a couple of score pieces at the end that are all Chris Cornell. Yeah, there are eighteen additional tracks, I believe. Uh, so eight, yeah, eighteen or seventeen. Yeah, yeah. So you know, the, you have the basically demo of Spoonman on there. Mm. Nowhere but you. Uh, that actually gets played in the movie. Yep. Uh, I remember a part in that when that kind of comes out. Uh, Chris Cornell's score piece four comes out when they have the fun stay single segment. Yeah. Um, that they have the touch me, I'm dick, which is basically Pearl Jam's joke with Matt Dillon. Yep. There's actually a song on there. They actually played a couple times in the movie. They have a couple different scores and versions of. And acoustic versions of Dyslexic Heart, Waiting for Somebody. Uh, a couple other little tricks that Paul Westenberg, Blue Heart. Lost in Emily's Wood is a fun little kind of mix of those. And that plays a couple times in the movie yep. as well. There's you, also, a, you also got the appearance by Mike McCready doing a little blues um, instrumental there. Mike McCready from Pearl Jam. Yeah, and it sounds like he's trying to come up with the Rover part two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a good you way hear to it, right? Yeah. It's a good way to look at it. The riff of the Rover there. Yep. Um, It's got the three great live versions, which are in the movie. Would it ain't like that by Alice in Chains and birth ritual. That right there makes it worth the purchase. Exactly. It's got the demo of overblown. It's got two songs by two different artists that were in the grunge area. Truly sings heart and lungs and blood circus sings six foot under, which I like that song, Mm -hmm. but the song that really does it for me, is ferry boat number three for Chris Cornell. It is my favorite of all these things. Listen to it. He's so fucking talented. It's insane. Yep. Sonny, you would love it. Love it. If you like the songs you just liked, you would love that. Cornell's just in, in a league of his own. Anyways, I, I suggest you guys pick up the deluxe edition. So that's just my opinion. Um, let's get into the, the, the rankings. Okay. This so is part, 13 really. songs. I'll go first. It's my album, right? Yep. Yep. So I want to say one thing right off the top. I liked everything on this album. There's nothing I didn't like. There gets to be a point on this fucking thing. I love everything on this album. And it's pretty low on these songs. Like, meaning 
there's a lot that I love. So although a song you might be like, what? I love that song. It doesn't mean I don't like it, even though it's got a low number. So that being the case, number 13 for me, and I like the song, May This Be Love. Yeah, before I get into my rankings, I'll say the same thing. So this album, we've done uh, 12 12 albums before. Um, And I thought I was going to struggle on albums like Pyromania and Appetite for Destruction, two albums I love. Um, A lot of the other albums that that I love have songs that it it was a little bit easier to rank. I will tell you right now, this was by far borderline impossible for me to rank. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is this album has, for me personally, my... Route Mount Rushmore of grunge is on this one album. My four favorite grunge songs of all time are on this one album. So my top four is like one, 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 and one. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to do I I mean, I had to give them numbers, so I did. But that being said, 13 for me is also the Jimi Hendrix song. May this be love. Don't do it. (laughs) It's funny. We just took like, Five minutes each just to pick number 13. Right. Sonny's going to be like, oh, it's this, 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 this. 13 was super easy for me. Drown. Number 13. Okay. All right. I can see it. I can see it. All right. Tom, this is where it's going to get funny. I like every song on this album. 12 for me. Waiting for somebody. Wow. Okay. Uh, 12 for me is Battle of Evermore. 12 for me is Chloe Dancer. That's it. Folks, that sound you hear is me exiting out of the Skype recording. We'll see you next time. If it wasn't for Corrigan being in Smashing Pumpkins, Chloe Dancer would have been 13. Like, I was so pissed off the way this album ended. So, you're lucky we've been friends for a while because this would be, this is breakup (laughs) material. You know how bad the rankings are going to get because of that? That's right. Oh That's God. right, bitches. He's such an ass. I love it. All right. Number 12, uh, number 11 for me, uh, Dyslexic Heart. 11 for me is Overblown. 11 for me is Battle of Evermore. Song sucks. Yeah, it's it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> you have that above Chloe Dancer. I'm so angry right Only now. Only because of the Wilson sisters. Okay. I was like, okay, they sang never. They sing never. They sing. Okay. (laughs) They're hot in that video. (laughs) Number 10 for me, Battle of Evermore. 10 for me, Dyslexic Heart. 10 for me is Seasons. This is what happens when the the non-grunge guy shows up. All right. I love Cornell. That song needed help. Number nine for me is Overblown. Number nine for me is Drown. Uh, number nine for me is State of Love and Trust. God, you're, <laughs> you're really testing the boundaries of our friendship right now. I knew this was going to be tough for you. <sighs> number eight for me is Drown. This is when it starts to get ugly for me. Um, I, I'm going to take shit from both of you, but I, 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 don't, I don't know. This is so tough. I love the song. But number eight for me is birth ritual. Wow. Oh, 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 my I know. God. I, I, I just, it's, I know. I, I <laughs> it was one of so, the only songs that kept me listening to this goddamn thing. And I love that song. It might be my favorite Soundgarden song. I just, I, I don't know. It's tough. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> I don't think of what is your favorite song. I'm moving it down the charts. The All fuck right, so back. <laughs> number eight for me was overblown. Seven for me, state of love and trust. <sighs> Seven for me, waiting for somebody. I've always loved that song. I love that nineties poppy shit. Uh, seven for me was also waiting for somebody. Wow. Seven and up for me are all songs I love. Mm-hmm. Seasons, number six. Yeah, you're right. This, I said Mount Rushmore, but if Mount Rushmore had six heads, this would probably be them. Six for me is breath. Six for me is may this be love. I love the Hendrix. Too. Wow. Okay. Five for me. You're going to be shocked, Tom. Uh, wood. No, it's tough. I know. It, I, I'm not going to. F- Look, it's tough. Five for me is seasons. Five for me is dyslexic heart. Man, that song. Five five for me is dyslexia. Yeah, dyslexia. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That song just is just too poppy. It's too good. Okay. All right. Number four for me, nearly lost you. This is when it got very difficult because number four for me is my all time favorite Pearl Jam song. And that is state of love and trust. And it's fourth. And it, you asked me in 10 minutes, it could How be number one. Your favorite song by them. It's my favorite really? Pearl Jam song. Yep. Cause it's recorded. Dur- Cause it's recorded during the, it's recorded during the 10 era. It could have been on 10. I consider it a, a 10 track, even though it's not on the album. Four for me. I cannot believe breath by Pearl Jam. I will never say Pearl Jam's number four in anything else ever in life again. But on this list, Breath was four for me. That's impressive. If, if if anything good has come out of this episode, it's that you ranked a Pearl Jam song fourth <laughs> out of 13. Number three for me is Breath. Fucking love it. It's the better of the two songs. Although most everyone says State of Love and Trust is. Breath is just incredible. Yeah. Another one, number three, This and I'm guilty of this because this is probably my favorite Alice in Chains songs, and that's Wood. And again, I don't know. It's just this. this is too good. It's not even my top 10 favorite Alice Chainsaw. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And it's incredible. Wow. Uh, Number three for me was Nearly Lost You. That Screaming Tree song is really good. This is where I was going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Number two for me is Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns. All right. Yeah. Look, one and two for me, it's literally... 1A in 1A. And something needs to have a number two because we can't do 1A in 1A. And number two is nearly lost you. Just because it rhymed? Yeah. Electric Boogaloo. Yeah. Uh, Number two for me is Birth Ritual. And it was an easy number two. (gasps) Number one by far is Birth Ritual. It is the fucking best song. Riff, vocals, Fucking kicks ass. Number one, birth ritual. Number one for me is, in my opinion, the greatest song to come out of the entire era. And that is Chloe Dancer, Crowd of Thorns. No question. Number one was easy for me. (laughs) Polar opposites on that one. I love it. The best song on this thing, no doubt, is Wood. There is absolutely Mm -hmm. no doubt. Birth ritual has a shot if it 
cuts that first four, 42 oh, seconds. Stop it. That's nonsense for that to be the reason. That's the reason. That's the only thing that separated the two for that me. That the one. That the one. Because the riff and the vocal is actually better in Birth Ritual for me. But Wood overall is the better song for me. So with our rankings, number tied for number one was Nearly Lost You and Wood. All right. I'll take that. And our number two, basically, or number three, I guess you would say at that point, is Birth Ritual. All right. I'm not, I won't, I, Birth Ritual is awesome. It's just, for me, I just, I'm just a fan of some of the others a is little bit more. cheating to say those three should, what would number four? Uh, you don't have time to do that. That's fine. Yeah, no, I have it. What's number four? Four would have been Breath. Okay. I'll take that too. Rotten Breath. All right. <laughs> All, All right. Breath. Now we get to the fucking hard part, Tom. No, we don't. This is easy. Piece of cake for me, too. This is all, all right. The minute you picked singles, I knew exactly what I was doing with this, except for the all rankings. Right. Before the we ranking. get there, hold on a second. Hold on. Hold on. All right. Let's go. Stop the show. Sunny <laughs> album covers. You, We've done Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction, Slide It In, OU812, Super Unknown, Pyromania, Load, Peace of Mind, Bon Jovi, Blizzard of Oz, Jar Flies, Winger. Where is yours? Do you need me to read yours? No, no, you don't. Um, so I got uh, Peace of Mind was number one, Slided In, Blizzard was third, Pyromania was fourth, Appetite fifth, Bon Jovi sixth, and I'm putting this in as seventh, right before Winger. Okay, fair enough. So singles is above winger yes okay tom you've got blizzard of oz peace of mind appetite pyromania slide it in jar of fly super unknown bon jovi winger load oh you wait one two i'll never understand the hate for that it's just a fucking picture of the band yeah go ahead what's where does singles go in where did i have winger winger is number nine number nine um all right, so I know it's the movie poster, but I, I to me, and again, this is a, it's a nostalgia, I, iconic type thing. I like it. I, I like Matt Dillon and, and with the guitar and Bridget Fonda. I, I, I don't know. I like it. I mean, granted, it's it's just a movie poster, but I'm gonna put it. Um, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna put it right below Super Unknown because I like that creepy cover of Super Unknown. So I'm gonna put it right below Super Unknown for me. Okay. For me, I had Blizzard of Oz, Appetite, Peace of Mind, Slide In, Pyromania, Jar of Flies, Super Unknown, OU812, Bon Jovi, Winger, and Load. I am going to put this. Eh, I'm going to do the same thing, Tom. I'm going to put this right underneath Super Unknown, just above OU812, because okay. Bridget Fonda is on that cover. Yes. <laughs> the boy. <laughs> All right, boys. All right. Here comes the hard part. So of all these albums, Sonny, you you ranked Slide It In, number one, Appetite for Destruction, Pyromania, Winger, Peace of Mind, Bon Jovi, OU812, Blizzard of Oz, Super Unknown, Jar of Flies, Load. How fast do I put this as number 12? Uh, don't, because oh, oh, it oh. is going to be... It's going to be right after Blizzard and before Super Unknown on the song of the top three songs for me, Wood, Birth Ritual, and Nearly Lost You Alone. Wow. wow. Beautiful. So above Super Unknown. All right. Okay. Tom, Pyromania, Jar of Flies, Appetite, Blizzard of Oz, 
Super unknown load slided in winger OU812 Bon Jovi peace of mind. Easiest ranking we've had out of 13 albums. Easily number one. It's not even close. Not by far. It's not it's not even a question. Number one. How by the far. fuck did you not pick this? <laughs> by far, by far it's number one. Why didn't you pick this? Pick the why didn't I pick the album? Yeah. I didn't get to it yet. It would I, I would if you didn't pick this this month, this would have been soon for me. Yeah, maybe this is my, maybe this it's because we weren't really going to think about soundtracks and stuff into that's exactly it's my like, point. When like, it, oh, do we do soundtracks? I never thought a compilation would be part of this ranking. And not only did you pick a compilation, it's my favorite one and it's grunge and it's got my favorite grunge songs of all time. It's by far number one. As soon as you pick this for your pick, I'm like, this is easily number one. And what I'm interested to see if anything's ever going to be able to knock it off. Yeah. So I have Blizzard, Pyromania, Appetite, Jar Flies, Bon Jovi, Super Unknown, Slide In, Peace of Mind, Load, OU812, Winger. I don't know where I'm putting this. Um, really? you've only had four months to figure it out. I don't know. <laughs> this took um, zero seconds for me to decide it was going to be number one. I am probably putting this as number five. I'm underneath what? jar of flies. Yeah. Holy shit. Your pick goes number five. Yeah. Wow. That is, that's shocking. Wow. Okay. I like no excuses. I stay away and, um, don't follow those three better than the f- slightly better than Chloe nearly law lo- um, birth ritual, Chloe and breath. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you that. Yeah, and then the also, but then again, you know, jar flies, it does have something. Ugh, fuck it. I'll make, I'm, I'm changing my mind just as I just did. I'm putting it for. Okay. I'm putting it for, because you know what? I just thought about it. Swing on this. Like, that's exactly, may this be love yep. is better than swing on swing on this and and I, I fucking don't like rotten apple. Um oh, okay. so even those songs and there's more good songs, but I, I mean birth ritual Chloe breath nearly lost you would see ah there's fucking so many great songs. So that's uh the single soundtrack, Tom. Number four for me. Uh, yep. Number one for you and number uh, nine for Sonny. Not bad. I loved it. I'm happy to see that. I'm, uh, my, my my pleasant surprise that Sonny didn't completely and totally hate it and actually ranked it not last. No. So next time is a group pick. So let's look forward to that. Stay tuned to that for that people. Yes. Yep. yep. So. You know what's next, Tom? Sonny, what makes you rock hard? So I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Dave. Have you ever seen the movie Dave? I saw that way back. I remember. It's pretty funny. Yeah. So May 1993, Kevin Klein, Sigourney Weaver, uh, Ving Rames, Ben Kingsley, mm-hmm. Charles Grodin. Uh, the movie is about Kevin Klein is actually playing two parts. He's playing the president of the United States and he's playing 
a uh, a lookalike to the president of the United States, and the government hires him to be kind of a decoy for the real president. Uh, mm-hmm. President <laughs> ends up uh, having a health issue after an extramarital affair, and Dave ends up being the president for a while as they're trying to figure out what to do. So it's a very interesting movie. There's not a ton of Kevin Klein movies I love. There's just a few. The few that I love, I absolutely love. And Kevin Klein's a little bit typecast. He, he there's a character he plays. He plays it very, very well. And uh, you know, my I wish it wasn't Sigourney Weaver. I wish it was somebody else uh, that was obviously a little hotter, if nothing else. But uh, the movie, <laughs> even after 27 years, it's a really, really good family. Your wife will love it type movie, and it's not a chick flick. So there you go, Dave. All right. Okay, so for me, so people who listen to this, this the, you know, the, our bonus episodes are Shout Out Loudcast. So we like, you know, rock, metal, obviously grunge. But then my other sweet spot for genre music is hip hop, specifically old stuff from the 80s. And I discovered this documentary that is, it's not new, um, but I just discovered it on Netflix. And it's called Hip Hop Evolution. And if you guys, if you like hip hop, I can't recommend it enough. But even if you don't, if you're a casual fan, this is one of the most in-depth, exhaustive, and thorough miniseries I've ever seen in my life on any topic. It is 16 episodes long. They actually broke it into seasons, four seasons, four episodes each. And it's chronological. The very first episode is called The Foundation, and it talks about the 70s and the birth of hip-hop in the South Bronx. And then each episode progressively takes you to current-day hip-hop. They interview every single person you could ever think of. They have interviews, video, photos, backgrounds. With uh, it, it is spectacular. Zeus, I don't know if you've heard of it. I know you're a rap guy like me. It is unbelievable. It is called Hip Hop Evolution, and it's actually made by um, a doc, a, a company called Banger Films. And anybody out there who's listening to this, who's probably a rock and metal guy, you're probably familiar with Banger Films. They're a Canadian documentary filmmaker, um, and they're most famous for they made a documentary called Metal: A Headbanger's Journey back in 2005. I have that DVD. It's amazing. Um, they've done documentaries on Iron Maiden, Joe, Joe Bonamassa, Rush. They did a series called Metal Evolution. It's just like Hip Hop Evolution. Unfortunately, it's not streaming anywhere. Um, they've done stuff on Alice Cooper. They have an upcoming one on ZZ Top. Unbelievably put together an exhaustive multi-part documentary. I can't recommend enough if you're into that. If you're not, I would go to bangerfilms.com and check out some of their other stuff because they they offer all different genre stuff, especially metal. But uh, yeah, it's it's great. I'm not even done with it yet. I think I'm up to episode 14 or 15. It's uh, It's great. I can't wait until people type in bangherfilms.com <laughs> and see what they get. Yeah, let me spell that out. B-A-N-G-E-R, banger, as in, oh, that song's a banger. Thank you, Sonny, for that, for that public service announcement. <laughs> All right. For me, um, I did my research on this album, Singles. Uh, I looked up stuff, and I saw someone talk about well, singles came out and discovered the best thing about, you know, the background the Seattle sound by then, almost as good as the documentary hype. Mm. Yep. Now, what is that documentary? I didn't see it. 
But I did look it up. It was it's on free on Amazon Prime. So I was able to watch it. It's a documentary in 1996 uh, directed by Doug Prey. And it's literally he was there at the forefront when grunge was going on. Supposedly at the time, <laughs> Cameron Crowe told him, hey, uh, you know what? Can you not not release this right now? I'm doing a movie. Yep. Like, and, uh, you know, we actually have a big production here. So why don't you like hold off? Long story short, it still did come out obviously later. It's basically guy that did a huge amount of interviews about the Seattle sound, the Seattle look, the, the, you know, the myths, the, it just, it, it interviewed everybody. Uh, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Mudhoney, Fastback, 70 year bitch, uh, Tad, Blood Circus, sub pop people. The founders are in this. It's, it's a nice little documentary. If you want to read it, I mean, look into it. It's about less than 90 minutes. Um, it's interesting stuff. It's funny. They're all talking. Basically, some of these bands you could tell in their early days were about to hit it big or did hit it big, and some obviously didn't make it. And uh, it's interesting. And also, it's got the first time the performance when they played Sm- "Smells Like Teen Spirit." You can see that actually live. Awesome. So when that was first played, it's okay. Uh, it's nothing that I would say blows you away. But if you want to kind of take a look and you invest into singles, the movie, then singles, the soundtrack, and you're like getting into that grunge mood, why don't you look up hype and uh, and tell us what you think? It's it, it's interesting. It's worth to listen to once, nice. at least I think. Cool. So, yeah, that's right. mine. So at the end of this, we usually tell Sonny, where can we find you, buddy? Uh, grownuprock.com or Podcast Rock City, where uh, both podcasts are on all the places you can find podcasts. And you're on every other thousand podcasts anyways, and you can find you on social medias under various names. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's right. Tom shouted out loudcast is my burner account. They just <laughs> don't tell you. <laughs> yes, there you go. I think we need to let you control the shout out loudcast social media account for a little bit and see what no. happens. Oh, yeah. God. No, 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 no. So shout it out loudcast. If this is the first time you're finding us, uh, we are an all kiss podcast. Uh, we release our episodes every Saturday, but once a month we do non kiss episodes such as this, uh, we do album reviews of non kiss music. You can reach us at shout it out loudcast at gmail.com. And we're on all the social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, we're part of the great Pantheon on uh, podcast network and our show can be found on all the big platforms, you know, Apple, Spotify, et cetera. We're on all those places. Um, if you are a kiss fan, please check us out again. Our episodes drop every, uh, every Saturday. We just recently celebrated our 100th with Bruce Kulik and Chris Jericho. So please check us out. And uh, again, once a month we do non kiss episodes like this one. Yes. And if you can, please, those emails are the best, especially for us on the bonus episodes. We love reading those emails about the episode and what you think. Tell us if you got into it. Tell us if you picked up the album. Tell us if you fucking hated it. Tell us if you listened to the episode, but we'll never listen to the songs. Yep. We want to hear your feedback. So uh, we appreciate all the, the, you know, the interaction and uh, we appreciate you guys, uh, getting involved with the show. So thank you on that. And Sonny, you're up first. Famous last words.
Drag me far enough to know I'm blind every mile that you burn. There's a rider that's fallen, and it's clear there's no time to return. Mm, excellent. All right. Sleeping with a full moon blanket, sand and feathers for my head. Dreams have never been the answer. Dreams have never made my bed. As you start the song and face this garden, I light a cigarette before the execution. Now you see your crime for every miracle at another drug at every birth ritual. Mm. Ritual! There we go. That's the way to, that's the way to end it. And, and, and remember, that's Banger, B-A-N-G-E-R films. <laughs> now Tommy's worried about every wife getting pissed off at him. No, I think it's funny. Go to see if that. I don't even know if that other website exists. Of course, Pooney probably does. <laughs> You're going to keep ritual. Ritual! That's as good as I can do in my head now. That's the new Paul Stanley. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. It's just, no matter what somebody says, something, you go, ritual! <laughs> Tom, thank you. Sonny, thank you. Kiss Army. Shout it out, Loudcasters. Grunge Army, thank you. Sonny, thank you, buddy, for joining us. As always, I'm glad that we kind of expanded your horizons somewhat. You didn't completely destroy this album. So everybody out there, thank you. Shout out Loudcast fans. Thank you. Bonus episode fans, grunge fans. Thank you guys so much. Zeus, thank you, buddy, for picking this album because now I don't have to. Happy 100, guys. Thank you for having me on. Thanks, Sonny. Oh, don't be nice. Throwing me off. Peace out, Girl Scout. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. 
That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 